get him gone. Jones, where we at? Did a complete 360. I thought they'd be proud of Jack. Was knee deep in the streets before I ever tried to rap. Secured the bag, no ADT, opened the laundromat. Riding around with all that paper on me, got tired of that. Whoever wants some smoke with blocks, I got two glocks for that. Outside, can't post up at the spot, my block too hot for that. Checking my safe, ain't got no more space where my closet at. All of this paper, I'm trying to find somewhere to hide it at. Triple murder, wanted for three ones, trying to buy some time. Out on bond, posted on these warrants off of Audubon. Still serving, learn to work my hand behind the steel curtain. Cause I'm off a block bleeding, he not even a real person. First string, always ran the one, but I can play the deuce. Coke white, old English D, my fitted navy blue. 313, Michigan, it's in the name of you. Rolly Plain Jane, they know I'm in the same gang as Duke. Known to keep them strong songs. My A Rabbi just gave me two. It's Mr. Get em Gone Jones, the same last name as Goo. Racking up when you was only getting fronted. Nine circles. Acting like you touching fast money, boy, your line turtle. Speak on my name or down on gang, we can't cut out the verbal. If I don't know your resume, then I'm not trying to serve you. Can't fuck with possums or no pigs, no gophers, rats, or gerbils. Got all this off white in the speed, like damn, what happened to Virgil? Got all this off white in the speed, like damn, what happened to Virgil? Cool. All right, we are back, and we are, this week we are the honorary Oos Ribbon, um, and we are joined back to get uh, to, to take reclaim his spot as the number one most frequent guest, the honorary third mic of the podcast, the uh, senior Joshi uh, correspondent, one half of the Juan Hoff Tracker Project, the JMLJ. How you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Quentin, for having me on again. Um, this is just given a regular occurrence. I'm just like coming in, sitting on, sitting on the couch, eating up your food from the fridge, doing all that stuff. <laughs> and we love it. We love it. Quentin, how you doing tonight? Uh, I'm all right. Um, if anyone hears uh, random noisy ass cricket, I cannot pinpoint where this cricket is. If it's in my basement or right outside of the basement but either way it is a nuisance and i apologize if it's like if it's uh getting through on the mic i think i'm hearing it a little bit i think i am unless it's yeah. like or something swishing around i don't know um before we get started have either of you watched any of this new season of atlanta uh <laughs> i am two seasons behind yeah, I, I have, I have <laughs> nice. not. I saw the episode. I only saw one episode last season. That was when, um, what is it? The what was it? The care, the caretaker. She passed away, and they had to. I think the like this family had to fly to New York for the funeral, and Chet Hanks was in the episode. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Chet Hanks was in the episode of Atlanta. <laughs> Yes, I mean, yes. You, you just sold. You just sold me to catch up just now. I'm fucking. <laughs> I'm fucking sold, man. The the last the last season was pretty wild. This season is getting even more abstract. Um, 
episodes are just all over the fucking place. Like, yeah, because the last season was like the tour, the European tour thing, and then shit just getting like super avant-garde throughout it. Um, this is like even more. It's crazy. I I only bring it up because I don't know if you listen, Quentin, but I made a joke about it on the uh, episode that I did with Joseph a while back. Um, but uh, and then and then we just noticed that this new season dropped episodes, like a ton of episodes dropped on Hulu that we didn't see. So we we kind of kind of just plowed through them. There's one part, and uh, you know, this is a bit of a spoiler. I apologize. This is like just a sur- superficial part of the story. But uh, there's one part that's like very clearly they're like having this rap this you know rapper who passed away in the storyline uh just be like a stand-in for mf doom and it's really fucking weird like it's just a very odd thing so i would recommend checking it out for this like weird like it's obviously it's about the pandemic kind of it's a reference you can tell it's like a reference to mf doom um but it's like a different character you know it's it's Really, it's just fucking crazy. Yeah, it's like, it's like how, the, how, the, how the Boondocks would do things, or like clearly it's based yes. off someone, but or or, yeah. even South, or even South Park based off somebody, but you know, doing it in a spoof way and not really go like, oh, this yeah. isn't about such and such, but yeah. Well, but well, it was crazy because they started obviously they started out, and I instantly thought I was like, okay, I think it's supposed to be like kind of like vaguely doomed because it's like, oh, this this rapper that's kind of underground died. And then they're like, yeah, yeah, did you hear he died or whatever? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, oh, he died like six months ago. So I'm like, oh, that's like the Doom thing where they were like, oh, he's been dead for a year. We're just yeah. announcing it, you know? So I was like, okay, that's it. But then when they had like, they actually play some of his raps in the episode, it's like very clearly, it's kind of like Cool Keith and Doom a little bit, but it's like very clearly Doom. It's like, oh, what the fuck? So yeah, oh. it's just very funny. Um, I haven't like, I haven't like really been watching any uh, of the current television stuff i'm still trying to get through game of thrones um so like that's been getting okay. the bulk of my attention right now but okay. i've been nice. uh, but i want to i wind up catching up on atlanta like i want to like do a whole bunch of shit i want to like i never watched succession i want to like go back and rewatch insecure because i only watched the first season so pretty much any important or prime time television i'm just <laughs> super fucking behind on sure yeah insecure i have I have thoughts on, but because um, that that show is just, I watched the first. It's a lot. Yeah, I watched <laughs> the first couple. I watched the first couple of seasons, and I was just like, "This is not, this is not for me." And then I came back. Um, I took a season off, and I came back. I was just like, "No, nah, this is not for me." So, but um, for me, I, I, I'll, I'll confess, with Game of Thrones, I made up to the second season and kind of tapped out. Um, if that wasn't just for me. Um, I'm, I'm kind of weird with my TV shows. I, I mean, I watch the prestige stuff, but I tried to, but, um, just the lesser known TV shows I've kind of been into lately. Like, um, I don't know if you heard of warrior that was on Cinemax that's on HBO max. Um, it's based on the, it's based on the, it's, it's based on a proposed script that Bruce Lee had uh back in the 60s that supposedly was copied like he was pitching around hollywood and it copied and it somehow became kung fu like the tv series so he felt at the time he felt ripped off about it but um his daughter shannon lee they got her and her team got uh uh producers board and they've developed the show with um andrew koji he's like it's about the like the San Francisco Tongue Wars. And it's really interesting. Um, I I suggest anybody check it out. 
um, because they do a thing where, like, um, if they're talking to, like, an American, um, they speak in Mandarin or, or Cantonese, but um, when they talk to each other, it's in English. So it's kind of kind of interesting that way. But um, but also he's coming from China and he knows he knows English and he's navigating through San Francisco in back in the 1800s or late late 1890s or early 1900s and it's it's action and all that stuff but watch I watched that finished up that's two seasons the third season is coming up and then I watched uh Paper Girls which was a, a comic book series on Amazon um and it actually got canceled so <laughs> I spent a full season watching that and then I've been nice. watching um Loot with um uh what is her name uh, it's forgot but it's on apple plus um but um ron funches is on the show um huh. yeah I'm gonna pick, let me do a quick search i forgot i can't remember if ron funches is good or bad at this point because i remember he was doing stuff at gcw and being a jerk on twitter but i, think yep. I still just like him yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, loot with my Rudolph, and it has Ron Funches oh, plays. Nice. Ron Funches plays her uh, nephew, so I like it. Yeah. Like certain shows, like that, it's it's pretty pretty good. So I, um, I I can't even like say anything like like other than Game of Thrones. Most of my TV watching is like I'm like about to be on season eleven of Grey's Anatomy. It's like oh wow yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, oh yes, I forget. Yeah, which like I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm clearly starting to get to the because it's been a pretty decent watchable show for all up 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 until all this time, honestly. So I feel like I'm, I, I kind of feel it getting to the point where it's about to like take a hard hard dive. But I can say a lot, like about, uh, I guess I'm, about to finish, I'm probably gonna finish season ten tonight. But like ten seasons in. Can't say I'm. Can't say it's bad. Can't say. Can't say it's a waste of my time. Are you a Shonda Rhimes person? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. But like, um, okay. My mom. My mom was or is heavy, and I always like when I was a kid, I always used to see like Grey's Anatomy in the DVR uh, mm-hmm. and shit like that. So like, I've always been aware of it, but I had never seen a single second of it until this year. And yeah, now I'm about to be done season ten. It's just like I. Yeah, I'm not sure who I am anymore. It's been a get ready for Station 19 and Private Practice because those will be the next. I consider next <laughs> I actually considered watching Private Practice because I liked um, at, uh, because I liked uh, Kate Walsh. So I was okay. like, like, so I was I was considering it, but then like I'm getting like convinced to do like the other good Shondaland stuff, like uh, sure. how to get away with murder and scandal. So like, we'll see. Bridgerton too. That's a Shonda thing. That's a Shonda thing too. Yeah, because she's the, she's got a thing on Netflix. Like, oh god, Netflix, Netflix, yeah. yeah. Oh god. Uh, yeah, yeah we'll, re- we'll revisit this. Once <laughs> 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 I'm done, once I'm done with this fucking saga, it's 19 seasons. I don't know why it's still going on, but well, I, I'm half I'm halfway there. I'm halfway there. I recommend um, to clean your palate of Shondaland, um, Gangs of London, if you want to watch something gritty. It's yes. coming back on. So if you never if you never seen it, um, it's it's on AMC. It's originally it's it's originated, of course, the title. It's in London, um, so it's I think it's a um, 
it's not BBC. It's um, some it's somewhere else on another channel. But um, it's the produ- the the creator of the raid, the raid movies. He's behind that, and it's it is what you would think it would be if you ever saw the raid movies, and it's in television format. So you ever seen a uh, Top Boy? Yes, yes. I haven't. I I saw the first season because I think it was like four episodes or something like that, and. I think Drake had this whole campaign of trying to revive it, so I haven't I haven't watched the rest of it because um, I know it's on Netflix. But yeah, I've I've seen the first first season of it. Uh, Tim, for some reason, I feel like uh, I want to pitch us doing like a whole like Ray Ray Donovan rewatch. All right, Ooh. all right, I'll do it. I'll get into it. <laughs> I, I've seen absolutely none of it, and I don't. I saw I saw, I saw like four episodes of it. I was like, yeah, I, I like no, that I guy though. It. Yeah, I like I watched like four episodes of it. I was like, yeah, damn cool. And then like I saw that it had more seasons. I'm like, how this go for like five seasons? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I was, like, I was, I was, like, we're still going. Yeah, I was yeah. in the same boat. Like I was like, I like I like Leif Shriver. Like I'm yeah. me being a big boxing fan. He narrates all the all the 24 seven documentaries. So I was like, oh, Leif Shriver. Yeah. And then you have then you have um I for, I'm forgetting it was a it was a loaded cast. And then I watched four episodes. I'm like, all right, it's good. And then I just forgot about it. And then it's like, oh, they're like in season five already. I'm like, what? So let's yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, TV's weird, especially if you're, if you watch a lot of wrestling, it's just like, how do you fit regular TV in? Like, it's... yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I guess speaking of, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, Shonda Rhimes got that big deal with Netflix. You know who just got a big deal is uh, John Moxley. Quentin, did you see this right no, before I'm we not, started recording? John no Moxley signed a five-year extension with AEW and an expanded role. Uh, Jay is actually the one who even mentioned it before we started, and I I had not even heard. Uh, yeah, so John Moxley now five years longer. Uh, five years more with AEW and it, yeah, like I said, expanded role as a mentor and coach to younger talent. So uh, fuck off Sheriff Jericho. It's Sheriff Moxley in town. Uh, John the Gunslinger is running the show officially. And now this plays into, again, I tweeted this out just now, but CM Punk's payroll cleared off the books. CM Punk's position as a, an employee, a secret employee behind the scenes, according to some people, some rumors and some stories as to why there's such a big issue with him. Is John Moxley now being put into the basically into the position that was the idea behind what CM Punk was supposed to be? And Quentin, was I right when all those years ago before AEW started, I said you don't need CM Punk because you already have John Moxley, and John Moxley has proven over and over again to be better. At the position that they want Punk in every single time. I mean, yeah, I feel like me. I feel like me and you both agreed on that, though. Like, yes, that, of we, that, that we were both like huge. Like, what's, what's the point? If you just let Moxley do what he wants to do, then you have Stone Cold, you have CM Punk, you have that type of guy, and you just need to let him do it. So, for one, I agree with you. Two, I guess it's effectively the same thing. I guess officially, because Mox probably has always been doing this or has already been doing this for his time in AEW, just without like this um extended label on it. So I guess you could I guess you could call it that. But realistically, John Moxley has been doing this in AEW since day one. And I guess that's what makes it a little bit more of a natural thing as opposed to CM Punk. And why like 
even if part of me still feels like Punk wasn't the issue, it's like, yeah, you bring this guy in and he's like immediately an employee and meant to be like this guy everyone listens to when they have no rapport with him. As to where John Moxley has been there as a building block since day one, this is a way easier fit, way easier thing to explain, a way easier thing for the for the guys backstage to accept. So this was probably just a long time coming, and I think the 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 main lesson for for Tony here has been just trust John Moxley, just just trust him. They might have all these other shiny toys that exist and that could be huge for you, but like just just trust him. He's the guy. Just trust him. Uh, Jay, you got any thoughts? Um, I just saw another tweet just pop up um, saying PW Insider. They reported that John Moxley's extension was signed around All Out. So he said at one point Moxley's deal actually expired and he was working on a handshake agreement until AEW finalized the deal. But there was never a concern internally that he might be going to look elsewhere, which is insane. Like everything that was going yeah. <laughs> around that time with Punk and, and we were, you know we were talking about the Punk and Mox match like he had a hand he had, his his deal was up like that's insane to me <laughs> that right. he put the belt on somebody he didn't even have a contract um I, wow I mean it's it just goes it speaks to the the content of Moxley's character and it's very interesting because his whole gimmick is the sick guy out of control chaotic you know what what the fuck lunatic fringe that they called him in WWE, all that. But behind the scenes, he's like steady. Even when he was having, you know, alcohol problems and all this stuff, you, you've never heard a lot of stories about erratic, reckless, can't be trusted John Moxley. Even at the height of his partying and drinking, he's again, like I said, rock, rock solid kind of stand up guy that, yes, Tony felt like no concern at all that this guy's going to fuck me over and, and, you know, turn his back on me because he's never. He's never dishonest. It comes across like he's not a very dishonest person. And of course, he's a wrestler and you say something like that and then you instantly get proven wrong, right? That's how, that's how it goes. But you just look at it and even the WWE, he was honest with them to say, I want the fuck out of here. Let me leave. They wouldn't let him. So then he's like, all right, I'm just going to wait it out and get out of here once that's done. And that's what he did. But, you know, he didn't ever, he didn't try to sneak around or go out the back door or do any, he didn't try to get into a fist fight to get released from his contract. Nothing like that. He just waited it out, and then when it was time, he's fucking gone, right? And, uh, and yeah, I mean, this is this is it. And you you talked about you know comparing it to oh, bring in Punk after a seven year layoff, and oh, he's supposed to be the guy. And it's like Moxley's the most integrated guy in all of professional wrestling, not just AEW, but from the bottom to the top, he's got it all. He's he's rubbed shoulders with everyone uh, from main eventing WrestleMania level to fucking you know, working in GCW, around the world, New Japan, everywhere. It's like, how do you... The, this guy's the, wrestling. The, the, the younger wrestlers, too, like, even just from the, from the perspective of how long Moxley has been a relevant wrestler in the wrestling world. Like, yes. even if you don't want to go all the way back to, like, a kid being, growing up on CZW or some shit, if, if you're, like, a young WWE fan 10 years ago, he was in the fucking Shield. Like, right. so he already has, like, that cachet for... If you're oh if you're a, a a younger if you're a younger guy on the roster back there, this guy was in the fucking shield. And on top of everything yeah. else that he accomplished in WWE and accomplished since then in AEW, it's like, yeah, like why would you? I and I get it. Like we all love CM Punk here, but it's like you have it right here. Like you didn't need to do anything else. No, and he's and he's again he's current. 
he's the he's the the marathon man i I don't know if i referenced it but i meant to bring it up in the past because you know talking about him taking the time off and all this and that and you know for his vacation and then he skipped out on that and and just how hard he's been running in in aew this whole time he did take a break to go to rehab and all this but I mean, for years before he left WWE, there was multiple times where Brandon Thurston over on WrestleNomics does the marathon or he did the marathon man kind of numbers. He ground the stats on who was wrestling the most consecutive and the most matches in a year for WWE. And it was Moxley year after year. He was the the top guy wrestling the most matches or he was in the top few for every year for like the past five years or the last five years before he left WWE. So it's like, not only is he the fucking marathon man from just the fact that he's been going nonstop since he started his career and got relevance until now. It's also when the pandemic hits, he, like you talked about it, he's from the shield, but he's also wrestling in a fucking sweaty warehouse doing blood sport with Josh Barnett and his crew of fucking psychos because of how much he loves wrestling. Like, so again, no matter who the wrestler is, the young guys, the grizzled old vets, everyone's going to respect him a hundred percent to where he is the guy that's not just your figurehead in the front of the camera, but also that locker room leader that nobody can argue with. Nobody can say, oh, John Moxley, what's he ever done? Who's he ever beat? It's like literally everyone. He's drawn in every fucking building, in every continent, in every station in wrestling. Like I said, from the top to the bottom, the guy has been a top star and he fucking eats shit with the regular guys and just goes through it, you know, and doesn't fucking pull an attitude, is a straight shooter. It's, it's Moxley. And it's fucking great to see Tony... In this current situation where it feels like AEW is really circling down the drain with the booking sucking shit and all of the fucking turmoil to see like one positive thing right now in AEW to say Tony did the right thing when it came to backing John Moxley. Maybe he's fucking dragged there kicking and screaming at this point. He's had to put the title on him two times that he didn't want to. But uh, at least now maybe he's seeing like, oh, fuck, this is the guy. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm I, You were right. Moxley's the guy. Yeah, absolutely. And when you talked about the marathon guy, I remember it was in 2016. I just pulled it up on Cage Match. He defended uh, the title twice in one day. Like he did a, a shot in in Orlando and then went to Jacksonville. <laughs> like, yeah, that's that's some Hogan 80 shit. Like to yes. do the do the do the show uh, early in the day and then fly down and and, and do yeah. another show. Like, right. Well, I mean. It's fucking nuts. And when you're flying back and forth like that, crossing time zones, is that, you know, you're doing that so the hangover can't catch up with you, I guess. Yeah, but he's. I, I, Mox is the man. Like, that's when, yeah. when Quinn talked about, like, him being in, in the shield. Like, that was so, right around the start of that time. That was when I was kind of away from wrestling. Like, I didn't watch his. Um, didn't watch. I heard about the shield, but I didn't watch. Um, just wrestling as, as a whole so i didn't really when i came back to watch wrestling full-time i didn't really get it in terms of how big a deal the shield was to a lot of people but um yeah like for kids that were watching at that time people think that they are the bi- the greatest faction in wwe history um i would i would i would disagree but like if you have that, that's, that then, yeah that's, that's what was there for them if you grew up in that time that's what was there for you yeah, yeah. You yeah. you have you have Mox doing that, or you're a recent Mox fan that's, that watched GCW, or even watched when he lo- jumped to New Japan um, first. Like he, it's Tim, like you said, like he is for everybody. Like yeah, I don't, I, yeah. I don't, I think the only people I see that disregard, like say bad things about Mox or 
like WWE fans basically because they want him back and they say, "Oh, Mox bleeds. Yeah, right. every, you touch him, he bleeds, and all that." And, you know, get out of here with that. Mox is Mox is awesome. You know. Yeah, like you said, Mox is Mox is for everybody. Uh, you know what else is for everybody, Jay? The reason why we have you here, Joshi. Joshi is for everyone. No, um, is there anything Just else you guys want to talk about? <laughs> anything else you guys want to talk about before we talk about stardom? Uh, we can talk about Kanye West's beard if you want to. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> and wearing the White Lives Matter hat. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, like that's like that's uh, just normal Kanye at this point. But uh, that beard is uh, is the sign of a man that is really, really spiraling right now. Not th- not that he hasn't been already for the last four or five years, but th- the state of his beard is the definite sign of a spiraling man. I don't know. I've had I've had that beard before, <laughs> so maybe I've spiraled in my life. But yeah, I've had that beard before. It's the it's the decor. Have you ever seen the decor in the the two interviews, the ABC interview and the Fox interview? Like the decor of his house, it's nothing in there. Like that's maybe that's him being minimalist. I think it's just cry for help. Like everything's gone. It looks like a it looks like a warehouse where he's shooting at. I'm guessing that's his home in Calabasas. I don't I don't know. But, but yeah, yeah no, I don't, I don't, I don't like, I don't, like, I don't, I don't care to pay any of what he does any mind at this point. This, like, it's been five years of this. Yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna keep paying attention to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I won't, I would be lying to say I didn't watch. I watched both interviews, um, just out of curiosity because I, I was on that. I was like you, Quentin. I was on that, um, that wavelength years ago i was just like i'm sick of kanye west but i just wanted to see if 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 anything new was popping up and it's just like no it's this it's it's the same him i mean he's he's really he's really out there i mean did you watch the genius doc on on netflix uh, i did no because i've just decided i just don't want to see anything kanye like <laughs> like like that was just like a gotcha. stance I, I i i had taken but i heard like stuff about it but i didn't i didn't i didn't i didn't watch it myself or anything i mean it's a fascinating it's a fascinating documentary and at one point they were because it's it's all basically uh uh cody and chike if you didn't know if you're listening if you didn't know cody and chike they directed kanye's first um music video through the wire and it's been there for been around hip-hop for a long time and and um started up uh creative control with Dame Dash, like they've been hip around hip hop for a while, but they've basically videotaped um, basically Kanye's early career, and it was funny because they were, you know, me from Jersey. He had an apartment in Newark, and um, at one time they were showing. There was one scene they were showing. They had like SmackDown was in the background, like they didn't unblur it or anything. Like, um, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was just a fascinating documentary because it was like they got everything. But you could see um, how this manifested, like how Kanye, he was just, he was so hungry. But at the same time, he always thought of himself bigger than he was. And, and you know, at the time, like around the late 90s or 2000s, that just wasn't going to fly because people were just going to knock you down a peg or a couple pegs. Um but it was just, it, to me, it was really fast. I think if you if you give it some time and just watch it, it's a really fascinating documentary, Quentin, and um, just shows how 
because they fast at one point they fast forward to modern day and it's different how he even talks like it's 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 one of no every, everything about him from like how he like i was Kanye West was my was my first favorite rapper mm-hmm. so that's why everything that like surrounds him hits me in a weird way just because he was like oh it's like and i know everyone says this to the point where it becomes cliche about kanye but it was like oh like you can make rap like this and like this is how you can be as a rapper and like you don't have to fit whatever like image or do whatever and i was like oh like that's cool i like that so kanye was my first favorite rapper and to then experience him as the years went on it's just like weird and like and like i'm not at a point in my life where i still like idolize celebrities or like anything like that but it was just just a weird kind of like childhood thing like man like this is like weird to even address or or look at because you're right if you go back and look at how kanye talks back in 2002 2003 2004 to how he talks now it's like it's it's not the same person which is why it's always like weird and why uh like the Kanye fans that met Kanye during the 2010s always bother me so much. Mm-hmm. It's like a man, like you guys like are just like enabling behavior that if you were around or aware of Kanye back like before, then you know that like something's wrong here. But Kanye's a genius, Kanye's a visionary, Kanye's all these different things. But like, no, like this guy is like clearly really fucked up. And because you guys like his clothes or or like the fact that he like talks in a, such a grandiose way about himself, you just let it go. But no, this guy is like clearly troubled, and you just keep enabling it. So just, it, it like gives me this yeah, like weird relationship. Yeah, and I, quick aside. I mean, if we're gonna talk about wrestling in a, <laughs> I, I promise. At some but, point. <laughs> yeah, um, I went to the Yeezus show at Madison Square Garden, say twenty fourteen. I want to say. Uh, or 20, late 2013, early 2014. And ironically, Kendrick Lamar was opening for him. He did an amazing job, by the way. Um, that's why I knew Kendrick was going to. It was. It was. He was. He was torn off. Uh, Good Kid, Mad City, and that's why I knew like he was. He was out of here. He was gone. But um, with the Kanye Yeezus show that I went to at Master Square Garden, I I was probably 25, 26, something like that. I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting, I'm forgetting, forgetting my age, but, um, I felt so old at that show because <laughs> it was just the dynamics of the crowd. And it's not, not the typical, if you're, if you're a black hip hop fan, you go to, um, a hip hop, a big hip hop show and it's supposed to the white, white people. It's not like that. It was, it was a mix of people, but it was so young that like this music was pandering to a young audience that I, I felt like, you know, this, I am aged out of this. Kanye, Kanye has a grasp on like youth in a way that like, honestly makes no sense. And I would love if someone could like try to explain it one day or try to pinpoint it. But for as old as Kanye is before has for as long as Kanye has been around, Kanye still gets to be like a voice of the youth. And it's such a weird thing. Because it's, I don't I don't ever foresee it going away. Like Kanye can be sixty, and I still feel like young people will look at him as if he's like their voice. And it's such a weird yeah, fucking like thing. Like he's been ghost produced. He's been around the music business 
since 98. Like, he was doing ghost yeah. production for Harlem World. Like, like when base, like when I was in like junior high, like in like in elementary and junior high, like he's exactly. been around the music business for so long. But for him to have this command on the. Yeah. Like you said, like, it's just it's so weird. Sometimes I look at him like you are too old for this. Like you shouldn't be acting this way. Like he's been around so many eras of hip hop that I'm just I, I look at him like this is this insanity like especially with the with the with the content that he was putting out music like the music that he was putting out and the subject matter that he's that he's that he was displaying um compared to now it's just like like oh you were just masking some of the stuff you were saying just to get just to have favor with black audience whereas now you really don't care but it's weird because in these, in the Fox News and the ABC interview, he, it was, he was, it was like this care for black people, but at the same time, it was like, he's really a black Republican. Like, it's just, I don't know how to, how to put it. It's just, it's really, it's really weird how he's portraying himself. And because I always thought he was um, going for validation, especially in, in white, um, community and, and things like that and but it, it's it's so fucking weird with Kanye. it's just I don't, know, I don't know it's 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 hard to wrap my head around it but um i just for me i i always keep them i keep them far away from me now like i used to like like when you used to be a fan i've seen him four times live like in like i've spent money to see him and it's just never again never i will i will never contribute a dollar i haven't listened to i'm trying to think when's the last kanye album i've listened to was it jesus is king uh no it was uh i think the new donna stuff and to me that was just like all right that's because i know what he was he's halfway trying to chase chase the, like half of the half of the album he was trying to chase the young, the youth, and you know, getting getting all these young young rappers, and and then he was doing doing whatever with the with the gospel stuff. It's just he is, I, I don't know. He's he's a ticking time bomb, but he's sort of he's changed, but he's always been materialistic. Always wanted validation from white people. It's 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 a whole lot. It's a whole lot with Kanye. I mean, I, I've gone on the Kanye diatribe, I think, on the podcast in the past. People can, you know, if you really want it, I, I don't have the time to get into it. There's a ton of stuff there that I even, like, want to talk about or dig into. Like, when you talk about, like, uh, you know, there's, like, the Pied Piper thing, right? When you talk about his connection to the youth. And there's, like, there's also, like, the history of cults attracting young people. It has to do with, like, how fully no, no, formed your brain I, is, you I, know? I, no, like, no I, re I really, like, Kanye West fandom is a cult. Like, yes, sure. yes. It's, like yeah. that is it is very much a cult. I don't think there's any other way to say it because these people genuinely believe that Kanye is just so much is just so much smarter than every single person walking the earth. No matter what he does or says, every everyone is dumb and Kanye is smart. It's genuinely a cult. <laughs> right. Yeah, no. But uh, but again, like my point there and again, I I'm trying to do like really surface and not dig into this too much. It's like cults and prophets you know they speak to the youth and they attract the younger people is their brain fully formed or not and and 
I also am one of these people who like believes that schizophrenia is not necessarily completely like we don't really know what the fuck is going on. And some people may actually be perceiving something that's there, but the rest of the world can't perceive We we don't know. We there's literally no real proof of any of the study. It's all objective because it's it's perception based. Um, so it's just like, OK, like, what is that there? And what is a prophet? What is he experiencing? What is touching him? Is it is it divine or is it something different this is something out there that other people can't experience all that but rather than talk about any of that i do want to mention i've heard multiple times on a podcast that i've referenced on this show before but i'm going to try to not even say the name of it they've talked about like wanting to see rappers have the same career that like earth wind and fire does where they they continue to tour into their 70s and get all these big crowds to come out and kanye is the guy to figure out how to do that by attracting old white men like me into his fan base by being fucking MAGA. <laughs> and he'll be able to tour when he's 70 because the people who keep going to shows in their fucking 70s are old white Republican men because they're still alive. Unfortunately, that's just kind of how it works. The people who have money, the people who are conservative are the ones who live longer, and they're the ones who continue going to concerts into their 80s and 90s. So Kanye is doing smart business here, and he's going to be the first rapper to be going on legacy tours that are just filled with fucking geriatric old white people like dancing to Jesus Walks. Yeah. Have you seen the like the dynamic pricing for Bruce Springsteen concerts tickets? Like, Oh, Jesus you- Christ. No, 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 no. No, yeah. I have not. This is look. This is like going to be all news to me because this is like the side of music that I really like. Have like I've listened to this, but I don't pay attention to it. So this is going to be all news to me. Yeah, like it's um, like I I don't I can't quote exact prices, but it was just like it was a, a mini controversy a couple couple months ago when Bruce Springsteen was doing he does stadium tours now and. And people were, were pissed. Like, like even though those tickets were really high already, like, um, like, like cheap seats were going for like thousands of dollars. Um, and it's and they and they were pushing back saying it's on Ticketmaster, but I truly believe like him and like Billy Joel, they've they've done a deal with Ticketmaster where they've done oh, this yeah. dynamic 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 pricing thing where because I, I heard some of it. Um, Actually, with the new the recent New Japan show in New York um, that they just put up, and like you were saying, there was, there was some concern about the tickets. Like, because um, I was thinking about going to that show, and then Ticketmaster is saying like um, I've heard stuff about Ticketmaster doing dynamic pricing. You know, jack up the prices there. Um, so it, it is an industry wide thing, but yeah, like um, with Springsteen and um, the Stones, they're going. I think they're they're back on tour and. Uh, you know, Billy Joel, he had his residency in Master Square Garden for like a month, like, like, like each month, like monthly. Um, yeah. So if, if Kanye could do that, then by all means, but, um, I won't be there. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Right. Oh, Jesus. I mean, you're really, you're really dancing around this, Jay. I was trying to stop myself earlier from referencing it because of the Shonda Rhimes Netflix deal. Now you're talking about Bruce Springsteen and I'm just thinking about like, bag getter obama and how he kind of he's connected to all this shit and he's just like a a media <laughs> darling like him and kanye are gonna do a fucking like a, a debate tour and sell out arenas probably oh oh oh, oh yeah i mean look they're barack obama's gonna get paid for the rest of his life not yeah, just exactly. off the fact of being president he is going to 
Like, oh man, fuck him so much. I hate him. <laughs> I fucking hate him. Um, yeah. We, we, right, we, we can just not talk wrestling. I, I, haven't, I haven't seen Dahmer. Can we just talk about Dahmer even though I haven't oh, seen him? Yeah, yeah. I have okay, not seen it. I watched it, though. <laughs> how do you feel about Dahmer as a leftist critique on capitalism? No, um, I did actually hear someone make that point. It's fucking psychotic, but I kind of love it. Um, stardom, five star Grand Prix comes to an end. Um, I love the people joking about this shit that's been going on for 17 and a half months or whatever. It's so fucking long and all this, but like everything is bite sized matches. Me and Quentin talked about it a little bit. It's like it can feel like a slog if you get yourself behind and you're trying to catch up and stuff feels repetitive, but I'm sorry. Like bite size, quick matches, bright colors, all action, high intensity. And tell me that stardom is not the TikTok wrestling promotion. Uh, you're not, you're not wrong. Like it's like for, for what it is like, yeah. Um, I mean, and, I'm not on TikTok, but, but, <laughs> but yeah, get I can my see point. That. it's quick. It's d- not, doesn't fucking blow through your attention span. We've watched this final show. All the matches are under a lot. Most of the matches are under 10 minutes. A few matches dip a little bit closer. There's like a, a 15 minute time limit on the matches. Like, you're getting this in here for people who have low attention span. Again, there's bright fucking colors. There's quick to understand personalities. Like I, I talked about it, but the worm turning and AEW, the wheels just completely falling off the wagon through the middle of the year. Like stardom promotion of the year. I made a joke about Rossi being Booker of the year, but like, I don't know. <laughs> Fuck who else is there better? Like really like what, like is stardom not at this point, like kind of an easy promotion of the year. Yeah, yeah. It's been the promotion to me that's held my attention the most. I mean, I've dipped I've dipped in here and here and there with AEW, but I really think they're really good product and WWE I have fleeting interests. Um New Japan, it's they ha- have their, their regular moments, but um hasn't been there. Trangate's had their problems, Noah's had their problems. Um one of my favorite promotions, Seedling, it's it's basically a zombie promotion now. Um, I'm trying to think of all, all the rest of the wrestling promotions. DDT. I mean, CMLLs, has, CMLLs yeah. back, pick it back up, but yeah, DDT. WXW, which we were going to try to review this week, but they nothing came out yet. You know what I mean? Like, um, we have seen like the firm Fatales and Inner Circle came out, yeah. but yeah. I was like, going to try was, to watch that, but that was going to be the idea, like trying to go through a little bit of that, but yeah. Well, maybe, maybe next week we'll see. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Quentin, what do you think? Like promotion of the year? I feel like Stardom has it locked up. Really, it'd either be them or AEW, and um, at that point, you have to like split hairs on like um, what would like be the like the separators between the two. Uh, but for my money, I would, I would, I would probably go Stardom just because I just I've really never come away disappointed from a Stardom show at. At all, at all this year, even if I don't love the main event, like there's just something that I'm super into or super high on, and I never leave it feeling like I had a bad time or that I went too long or this and that and my time was wasted. I've just never felt that way. And even with AEW shows, where sometimes I might not agree that oh this show went too long and it was such a drag and this and that, but Stardom is even more so. Like I'm act- like I'm actively enjoying like all the time I get to spend with the with these wrestlers and with these characters. It's no matter how many times I see the entrances, see the lights, see the colors, see whatever, like I'm always into it. It's always a really fun time. And then the wrestling is just as great. So 
for my money, it's probably stardom. Um, stardom AEW. But, like, even in a world where, like, oh, wrestling is subjective and this and that, like, it's just really hard for me to imagine any competition that, like, either of those two promotions would have. And it's not to say that they're just so great, but, like, wrestling is still in a weird place right now as to where it's, like, yeah, like, I don't even, I, either stardom or AEW, and it's, like, really not close. Yeah, the, the number three is, like, uh, whatever Dylan Hales is booking at the moment, right? Or, yeah. or something, you know, like, some promotion that no one's heard of, like, is the number three. It's, you know, whatever, that's good. Deadlock we, we Pro. Like it. Yeah, oh, Deadlock. There we go. Deadlock Pro deserves some shout. I've actually, again, I've actually been watching it a little bit, but, uh, all right, so here's the next kind of big picture, and maybe this is a bit of a spoiler, but, you know, for the review, but I think at this point people should just know, like, if you're going to listen to this, you should not listen to this if you want to you know be unspoiled about the finals of the stardom five-star grand prix here but julia obviously wins and i heard this posited and i want to get your takes on this julia as the most complete package wrestler in the world right now like the best kind of the you know overall best jay what do you think about that that's an interesting um assessment on julia i mean for my money, she's the one of the best big match wrestlers in the world. But as a complete package, she's close. Um, man, because I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you know, everybody talks about Roman. Like the WWE fans talk about Roman Reigns, and they they love Roman Reigns. But it's just the matches to me haven't been uh, there. Uh, for me, it's like it's hard to do that when, like, for Julia when. When Brian Danielson, when Brian Danielson exists, so it's like, it's like sure, that makes, sure, that, that, maybe let me give the parameters a little bit better, right? So when I say overall, you know, all around, like star power, credibility, the way that she presents herself, the in ring, and on the mic, you know, the the character, right? So like, kind mm-hmm. of all of that. And Brian Danielson, sure, great wrestler, but in AEW, does he carry himself like a top star, really? Not, 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 maybe, like maybe not, maybe not at this point, which I would be fine if that was, if that's what you're saying. Like, maybe not at this point in like October, like October 7th, 2022. You might not come across that way. So that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of the point, you know, just like the overall, the package, you know, that, that, that Flair Thez idea, you know, that people talk about. It's like Moxley, maybe, but yeah, Moxley. You know, yeah, Moxley and Julia feels like that's that rarefied air where you're talking about the top two when it comes to that overall, like, again, the Flair Thez thing, where you're also talking about drawing, you're talking about, again, star power, actually getting people into the buildings, and then also the diversity of quality of matches going across the board. I mean, on this final, she really showed off, you know, she really did show off, like, a, the depth of yeah. her ability when it comes <laughs> to character and emotion and everything. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. Back to that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jay. I don't know if you were. Uh, no, no. On. You know, Mox is Mox is a good good shout. Um, I was saying with Roman Reigns, like it's just to me, the in ring isn't isn't there. Even though I really like Roman as a wrestler, like in ring as a wrestler, it just this monster heel run hasn't really connected with me. But I'm you know I'm an outlier with with a lot of things with wrestling, but. Um, I'm thinking, I mean, Okada, I mean, he slowed down a little bit. Um, you know, I, I heard you guys talking about Aguchi a couple of weeks ago. I mean, he's just, 
he's basically, even though he's been around for a while, he's, it's, he's basically a baby grown into this world champion role. Um, Kendall, I if, really if, like. If uh, Takashita and Higuchi were like one wrestler, then it would be, that would be the guy. But because they're two different guys, it's like they both are kind of, you know, and especially Takashita maybe would be in that conversation if like you could have him be as fresh as he's been in AEW, but in DDT. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. then then maybe, you, but yeah, that's kind of the the situation there. Yeah. Um, and then then drag then Dragon Gate. Um, I like a lot of those guys, but I wouldn't put them in any of that conversation yet. So no, I think that's I think it's fair to put Julia in there. And like we've always said on the podcast, whenever we've covered Stardom or talked about it, it's just like people's like Julia's never been a bad wrestler. She's never like that's never been the issue. It's always just been. People having an issue with like, the, with like the political side of how of how she jumped to stardom, but yeah, yeah. like she's never been a bad wrestler. Like if people if people like people wouldn't care that Julia jumped ship if she sucked. <laughs> if she sucked, no Fair. one would. Yeah, like if she sucked, no one would care. It's the fact that she was like such a value. I didn't view this in view as someone that could be leading a promotion into the future. That like it became that it became a thing, and. To see her get to this point where she does come across like such a star, and it's, a, it's it's in a bunch of different ways too. It's like like she comes across like a huge badass. It's like not afraid not afraid to put her body on the line. She comes across like a leader. She comes across like she could be the top heel, like a really like great Rudo style like evil type heel if she wanted to be or had or got the or got the chance to be. She's Rootable in in a in babyface ways past these as well. She can bring the emotion and hit hard. We've seen her like do selling base matches. We've seen her do like the bomb throwing epics and things like that. We've seen her do it all. So you know, someone wanted to say that Julia was the best, most well-rounded, most complete wrestler going right now. I wouldn't really have that much of an argument against it because looking at what she can be for the promotion that she's on, she could literally do anything for stardom. And that's what makes her such a valuable person. Yeah. yeah. And, and with her, um, it's, it's, it's interesting with me because I remember I, I, I guess it was what 2016 that I heard about her uh, debut in ice ribbon. And then there was, Later, there was Fuji TV did a mini documentary on her, like her de- actual debut and her training. And I think a lot of it because of her background, you know, her, her father's Italian and the mother's uh, Japanese and she was born in London and, um, and all, all the stuff she was bullied when she was, she was in school and had a rough upbringing and um, just all that stuff. And, but a lot of people saw real potential in her even when she debuted and, and i remember the tag match she debuted it was takako in a way was her tag partner and because just you know the the beauty of julia whatever they they presented her that way and and because you know takako in a way back in all all japan women um she was like the beauty beauty star turned baddie uh persona back then um and Julia's kind of followed that that career trajectory and even jumped even more into she's never she's kind of a Kira Hokuto role now, uh Hokuto role now, not Takako Inoue. And it's for her 
for her growth. You know, she, like, like Quinn said, she's never really been a bad wrestler. She's had her lumps here and there, and there was an adjustment period of stardom that um, she had to catch up with the rest of the rest of the, the the roster. But she's really changed her style, honed in what she's good at, and it's come full circle now with her win the five star Grand Prix. Um, you know, in ring wise, she's put it together. Looks wise, she's put it together. You know, um, catches everybody's attention. I mean, I even saw um, Dakota Kai on her IG story on Saturday. She would, I'm going to say tweet out. She, she put on IG story that she was watching the five star on a TV and tag Julia on it. Like it's, it's something that I've, I've started to notice that stardom's become like the wrestler, like the actual workers, like the wrestlers, that's their promotion. Like the rest, their wrestlers for your yeah. wrestler is in stardom. And it, pretty soon it's going to, it's going to grow more to general fans are going to start watching it. And Julia's going to be ahead of it. And I think that she did a masterful job in this tournament. Um, but we'll talk about that later, but, um, yeah, like she's really Bushiro got really lucky. Rossi Ogawa, Bushiro, they got lucky, and it was just perfect timing that at the time she jumps, they get sold to Bushiro. Like just tactful, um, thoughtful, and it's it's been almost three years. Like it's funny how the anniversary of AEW is coming up has just passed for three years, and it's actually been three years for Julian's stardom and with her jump and it's been a rocky road here and there, but um, like you said, like it's weird with the AEW star almost s- similar trajectories in terms of, of the growth. But um, with Julia, she is, she is it. She is, she is it for, yeah. for this company. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a unique thing. And, and someone in there mentioned Okada and, and kind of comparing it there. And, 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 you know, when it comes to that, full package thing and and there is a lot obviously there's a ton of similarities there and it's it's it becomes almost you know contrite to say it at this point because they're both companies are owned by bushy road they're on similar trajectories and all this and that but the uniqueness of it that is like this internal export that i think okada kind of filled for new japan as a you know a toriumon outsider guy you know trained in like this mexican style but he's japanese and then Julia with the fact that yeah like you you talked about her background there and how you look at her I mean when you just look at her it's striking because she looks like a European a Western European woman and then like sounds and speaks like fluent Japanese and comes across like completely encultured into the like part of the Japanese culture there where it is it's like she is she's able to be a homegrown Japanese star that comes across fresh like an export from an outsider and it's like kind of the thing that like you know japanese wrestling has always been built around because you know guys people from outside of japan always can become big stars but their connection to having japanese roots is what can make them like a top star one that's like pretty interesting to think about when you talk about this comparison one who just passed away who was the biggest deal second biggest deal in the history of wrestling in japan is a tony onoki similar in his background that he's japanese in brazil you know grows up in brazil and then comes back and becomes this gigantic star because there's this freshness and this uniqueness of not just being a you know (laughs) i hate to say a bog standard japanese person but 
there is also the fact that like Japan is an ethno state. They're not like super accepting of foreigners. So you're like, well, he's still Japanese. It's like Ricky Dozan, obviously the godfather of wrestling in Japan is fucking Korean. And he had to pretend like he was Japanese to be a big star, even though they loved him and they thought he was great and all this, like that's what it takes. So Julia has, a, you know, bring this full circle. We, it's crazy. We did this podcast. We didn't even really reference the passing of Antonio Inoki, but like when you look at that comparison, it's like it's clearly right there. You know, it's 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 a really very similar background, and it's something that just for some reason gets over in Japan. I feel like I've explained it well enough there. I see some reason like you don't get it. Like everyone gets it. It's just Japan is like really racist, and they don't like people who aren't Japanese. But <laughs> you, they want you to be interesting, so be like part Japanese, part something else. Yeah, and it's funny because we talked about Anoki with um, him growing up in Brazil. Ricky Dozan promoted him first as half Brazilian, half Japanese. And I think a lot of people bought it because, he, you know, the big chin and everything, like he just didn't look like, I don't want to say yeah, yeah. Japanese, but yeah, like, and people bought it. And it was, it's it's interesting how the history of Japanese wrestling and, and, uh, and how you know another guy, Ricky Choshu, was one of the biggest biggest stars. He's Korean, you know. Like a lot of the ja- a lot of the figures of Japanese wrestling are not, you know, pure Japanese yeah. wrestling. Aja Kong, <laughs> yeah, right? Aja, Aja Kong. Kong, yeah, half black. One of the most know. recognizable names in in Joshi wrestling. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I, this has a, been a, quite the diatribe and road that we've gone on here. Do we want to get into the, the tournament? You want to talk about it? I mean, lots of quick matches, some stuff um, that stands out. Quentin, how about, do you feel, would you want to run us through the, the matches? Feel free. Okay. Um, I don't know if you guys want to just do everything, but I can like maybe pinpoint some matches that I liked and I thought were really fun. Is that okay? Or yeah. how do you want to do this? So, yeah, that works uh, for me. Yeah. We can, I mean, if you want to run down the matches and if it's nothing, you know, you don't mind, you don't want to have anything to add to it. Feel free to skip. If it's something you think stands out, let's talk about it. Okay. Uh, first up, we had Mirai defeating uh, Saya Ida. Mirai finishes the tournament with 15 points. So really, really, really good showing for her. And one of my favorite uh, people, people in the tournament. Uh, I know Tim, you feel the same way. I think JML probably yeah. feels the same way too. Um, not a ton to say about this match. I thought it was fun, but not a ton to say there for me. What about you guys? Uh, yeah, uh, similar. I, oh, go ahead, go, go ahead, ahead, Tim. No, no. I was just gonna say, Ida kind of feels like she's playing. She still always feels like she's playing pretender. You know, Giant Saya is playing pretender to the power fighter, while Mirai is more entrenched in the actual power fighter division. Because that's one thing when you talk about like stardom and standing out and the and goodness is like there doesn't really feel like there's a house style there's just like a mix you've got kind of the high speed crew and then they've got a burgeoning power fighter mini host division in the company that i think is like really starting to stand out for for one of the few places where you can have like yeah women's wrestlers who there's a lot of that stronger kind of bruiser vibe going on there yeah, absolutely. Like, if you had to, it was funny because, like, you know, I, I see on Twitter people talk about Hoopers and all that stuff. Like, I, I feel like the blue block was the Hoopers block and, like, the red block was the thug block. Like, you had, like, the roughest, roughest people in the red block with, you know, I know Mariah wasn't in it, but, like, Ami Saray and, 
and Himeka and Micah and Utami and Shuri and just a murderous row of, of people in that, in Risa Sierra in that block. And then you have like all the skilled people like Starlight Kid and, and Julia and Suzu Suzuki and Mai Iwatani. Like it was just kind of that loaded block. But then you have the, the little mini hosses, hosses with, uh, with Mirai and, and Saida. And it's funny because like two of these matches, they were on the, the um, Sumo Hall show earlier this year in March. Um, still similar in quality. And I really like this match. I always like when Sai is facing off against Mirai or Ami, anybody who's in that quote unquote Haas division, you know, Saya, um, you know, she recently on that Stardom Showcase show, she won the, the, uh, the bodybuilder competition. So for her, like it's, it's similar. It's slowly, I see it, slowly turning around for her. I think this year has been a good bounce back year for Saida, um, giant Saida from the, from the ACL tear. Um, but you know, she's taken a lot of losses, but I, I think, um, maybe next year she'll, she'll make the step up, um, and being, you know, have a, have a good enough, good enough showing like, um, like a, like a mini Shirakawa who we'll talk about later, who, I think took the next step into um, getting big, big opportunities in the company. I think she'll do that, but also Mariah. Mariah got a lot of, um, it's continued from Cinderella tournament, which her won in Cinderella. And um, it's, she's kept up with the performance, with the performance. I know a lot of people online don't like Mariah and don't like the push, but she's really, really good. And there was a reason why people who followed Tokyo Jersey Pro thought she was going to be the ace of the company one day like she's, i mean like she's for good. me like i can say like sorry to cut you up but it's like looking back at like 2020 and when like utami was having her run and her rise through the ranks and seeing where she was a couple of, a couple years ago i think mariah's better than utami was at that point in time i don't, I don't think it's crazy to say that totally but, agree totally agree. like and, and, like, Utami, I can admit, has been hit or miss me the past few years, but, like, I could see what they saw in her in a prospect and why they pushed her so hard. I think Utami is, like, not Utami, Mariah is, like, significantly better than Utami was at that point. And, yeah, this, that thing that it should, this shows, too. Like, that did she finish with 15 points and, you know, realistically being, a, being one win away from, uh, from, um, from, from being, from being in the finals here. Not even just one and one away, but if it wasn't a draw, yeah, one, yeah, draw, you know what I mean? Like it's not, it's not, not even necessarily a win, but just like if things had gone a little bit differently, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So like that's that's for for me. Like I I think Mariah is better than Utami was back when they pushed her. And if they're if they're that confident in Utami and have like not let up on that at all, then I can then I'm just really confident for when Mariah gets those more consistent. Uh, Singles opportunities, like when she faced uh, Sherry this year, that was my favorite uh, Sherry title match of the year, and uh, still is. So I think that she'll just continue to knock it out of the park when she gets more of those chances. But this was a really encouraging tournament for her. Yeah, yeah, and and Jay, you already referenced it there. Following it up with the next match, uh, this is a pro Mina Shirakawa podcast, so of yes, course we're on your side there. Uh, that Mina had a great showing and and a great final match here with with Natsupoy. I. I I dug this. I like Natsupoy coming out all killer at the beginning. You don't know what to expect, you know, kind of with her recently joining um, Cosmic Angels and Mina kind of being the, you know, the 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 lovable, you know, 
whatever you want to say of the of the group kind of ditzy jokey comedy person of the group but also like heart and soul all that and like what are you going to get and that's a point just fucking goes at her hard from the beginning and then slowly mina like fights her way from underneath and i i really enjoyed that uh story and the way that that went but uh i feel like i i took over on you quentin uh <laughs> you have any thoughts here uh no um this was this is this is really fun not a ton to say there they don't overstay their welcome and uh yeah, this this is just two fun ass wrestlers, man. There's not, not not much more to say. That's what this roster is full of, and they just let them go out there and do this all the time. It's just full of fun wrestlers that they don't like. Uh, they don't usually make them go go too off to go too far out of their depths, and this is just like a perfect amount of time for these two. Yeah, I uh, really really love this match. I uh, love the legwork that Mina's been doing lately. Uh, she submitted Nat's support with the figure for leg lock. Like she's really becoming. I know. I know some people are are making her like the new Bret Hart or something like that, the Joshi Bret Hart. But she's not there yet. But she's she's really good. And um, I was really I was actually worried when she first came out. Um, side note: the the production for this show was amazing, just amazing. Um, probably the best production I've seen Stardom ever have. Um, I know they're in the. Yushinashi uh, Forest Plaza. It's I think it's like an eight thousand seat arena. Um, they didn't have that many people. Didn't he had like twenty five hundred people? You know, still they're still taking COVID seriously over there. But um, just just look, it looked a lot more than the twenty five hundred people. It looked like like four thousand people were in the in the building. But um, but she was coming out to her entrance, and the announcers were Razor Ramon Hargay and Razor Ramon Real Gay because they uh, they do the stardom like um. I forgot what it's called, but it's like a variety show, and they usually have uh, the Stardom wrestlers there for it's on Samurai TV. And when Mina was coming out, they was like "sexy," and I was like, "Oh no, 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 no!" <laughs> this was this, this this was a problem. But no, like she went out there and she she really, I think she took the next step. She's gonna face uh, Sai Kamatani on the next um, next pay per view for the white belt. She really improved her game and. Um, I'm, I'm really pleased that, you know, it's been two years since she debuted on the first ever Stardom show. And it, it took similar like Julia, it took her learning curve coming from Tokyo Joshi Pro. But she's she's another one. She traveled around the world. She traveled to Mexico for a little bit, trained in the Liger. Like, she really is dedicated. She's not just the, you know, like like Tim, like you said, like the, the ditzy, funny girl, like, she could play that role. She could play this bloody angel role, which I don't like, but um, this dark Mina character, but she's so many sides. But when she puts all, when she puts in, sells down and actually becomes like actually wrestled, one of the better wrestlers in, in the company. I think that's going to come true in 2023. I think she's going to want one of the major single styles. Not, I don't think Red Belt could, could win, could possibly be, be White Belt contender. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with the SWA title um, this coming year with Mai still holding it, but if somehow it gets off her to someone else, me is a perfect candidate for that to take that and actually tour the world with it. Um, that's- I just, I just it's, it's just like the thing with me is like I'm not sure if they view her the way that we view her, but at the mm-hmm. same time, like you see her getting this uh, this win over uh, over over Natsupoy. Because, like, realistically, like, Mina didn't, like, 
need to win here. Not Sapoy could have still won and got her points, and she wouldn't have been like a threat to win the block still. So Mina got the win, and like it's it's um it's encouraging that maybe they do have plans for her or that they do see potential in her. But like we always said, like with Joshi and like how they view age and things like that, and like that being like a restrictive thing historically and maybe that's changing but people like tam and sherry that are getting pro- that are getting prominent spots but it does worry me that maybe they don't see tam they don't see mina the way that we do but like this wasn't this was an encouraging sign yeah absolutely um we'll see i mean she's i don't she might be i know i don't know they don't list her age i know she's what was her birthday? It's the 20, December 26th. Cage might touch you 34. Okay, that makes sense. Like, so her, it's funny because, like, um, in that, because I saw some of that variety show um, before the five star. Um, Tam's, Tam made like a thing saying, like, um, Saki is like the senior. The, the like the senior like assistant leader or something like that of the group because you know Saki's the same age as Tam they're thirty four so um, with Mina she's thirty like it's and that's that's the that's the, kind of like the charm with Cosmic Angels they're this they're this group that they act younger than they are even though they're all most of them are thirty years old and over um, so uh, but yeah with Mina I mean she's on a B pay per view she's getting a title shot she's going to be in the semi main event. Um, I know she was last year against Tam, and she turned it. She did a basically a gimmick match with her being that bloody angel gimmick. But if she comes in just regular Mina, wrestles the way she does against against uh, against Saya Kamatani, I think that'll be one of Saya's better matches this year. I really do because Mina's gonna Mina's gonna slow slow the pace down. Gonna actually work. Gonna actually work a limb. All that stuff, you know. I I like Saya. I like Saya. I think she's good and all this stuff. It it could go. With, her matches start to get into a formula in sort of the title matches. You mean to tell me that Saya Kamatani is not the best wrestler in the world? No. <laughs> well, well, but, uh, you could have could have fooled me, man. <laughs> no, but if uh, if Mina if Mina does her thing, like it's going to be one of the better. Um, just like kind of like what Emeka did when she stepped in last minute. You know, it was a different type of match, you know, so. Oh, Tim, did you have anything to add there or no? No, no, no. I I, I, I opened it up. Unfortunately, I, I stepped on your toes and I opened it up. So I already said what I had to say. All right, good. We are taking a lot for two matches that don't matter. So, <laughs> let's, figure this, this a, so let's figure this out. Sorry uh, about that. <laughs> no, we're good. No, we're good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Momo Watanabe and Hazuki. This sounded really good on paper and was just as good as you would expect when it actually when it actually happened. Uh, these two have always had really great interactions historically, and I thought this was super fun. Obviously, not not like the peak of what these two are capable of, but I thought this was very very fun. Uh, yeah. Did yeah, either you guys go, care for this? Yeah, they let them go longer than some of the you know shorter matches on the show. Um, you know, obviously not like upper limits, but still like pretty long comparatively especially for something that's on paper in the setting it's not important but i think if you're paying attention and you understand like you're kind of following stuff 
you see how it is important because Momo is really established as you know great rest great wrestler who you have to you know do something with her to prove that you deserve to be in the upper echelon and Hazuki is obviously a project that they want to do something with you talked about earlier with Mirai getting 15 points Hazuki ending here with 14 points um looks pretty strong coming out of the tournament and obviously someone that they're looking at doing something with um and yeah they have great chemistry with each other and have proven that in the past but you know again here and this is why we were talking about the third match on the show and you're seeing important booking that's clearly has a, a purpose to it and it's why i say like okay fucking stardom is the promotion of the year and rossi actually deserves some credit i mean maybe rossi doesn't book the shows i don't know the real inner workings but it feels like whoever's booking stardom deserves some fucking credit when it comes to talking about bookers i just don't want tony khan to win the fucking award again <laughs> I, I, like, I, like, I like how slowly just your your real feelings started to come out this <laughs> Is it Rossi? Well, maybe it's, it's not true. Rossi. There's someone that's not Tony. <laughs> I know that it, I know, I don't care who it is booking stardom, but I know that there's people out here who are better bookers than Tony. You know, like it, it's just, if you watch AEW, you fucking know that people are booking stuff better than this. Jesus Christ. Triple H, where are you, buddy? Like, can we get, can we, get, let's give an award to fucking Shawn Michaels. I don't care. I wouldn't go that uh, far. Jay? Uh, you're, you're not, you're not. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't go that far, but um, yeah, this match, uh, like you guys said, I really enjoy this match. Um, long term, long term booking between it's it's funny how you know Hosuki got to the quick quick start. Um, you know, winning all those matches matches early in the tournament, actually beating Julia in the first night, which made me go, "Whoa!" Like that's yeah, and, to and me that, that's that, that, booking. That brain that brainbuster was like looking like a kill move throughout mm-hmm. the whole tournament like it was a real like match ender type of thing <laughs> yeah and it's and to me like i, I know quentin you and i've talked about this before like um i've always been hard on momo um you know early early in career when she got the mega push because i actually thought hazuki was supposed to have it you know they were in um they were they were the founding members of queen's quest with with Io Shirai. and when momo went down with their acl tear you know, Zuki stepped up and was her number two and it mm. really did the work. And I thought she never just got her just due. She was always pushed to the high speed title spot where Momo, she was was basically the ace of the company once EO left. And I like now that um, I know a lot of people still are high off of that and still have feelings that Momo should get better. But I like I like where they're going with now. Like this just... This has been a long term going long term booking going with Rossi and with Momo and Hazuki. They've been basically been feuding the whole year, whether it's singles matches or the tag team matches with uh Hazuki and Koguma versus uh you know Sorry Kid and Momo. Like they've been feuding all year and it's un- underrated feud of the year candidate, I, I wanna say. Underrated feud of the year candidate. So there you go. That's that's my thoughts on it. And um, if you're voting Observer Awards, uh, Momo and Hazuki, Foodie of the Year. I'll just put it that way. Uh, are you sure it's not Judgment Day versus Rey, versus Rey Mysterio and Edge? Um, no, no. All right. Next match, uh, Amy Saray versus Sai Kamatani. This ends in a double countout. Amy Saray ends her tournament with 11 points. Sai Kamatani ends hers with 14 points. 
Uh, I thought this wasn't bad. I thought this was. I thought this was fun for what it was, and I thought that like it showed that these two have a better match in them if they get a second go of this. Obviously, not the thing that's going to leave me with the biggest impression, biggest memory from the show. But I like the aggression here. I like the fire here. I like the pace here. Again, not the best thing on the show, but I can't say that I didn't like that. I hated this either. Yeah, fun, and but the finish and the setup was a, felt a little contrived to me and a little mm. wacky racers by the end. But otherwise, everything was good. It just the the finish felt very tacked on and forced, and they really did not work in a way to build to it. They really it felt like they were like we're gonna have this match, which is good. And and Ami uh, is it Amy Saray, Ami Saray um, has looked great throughout the tournament, and I think deserves some. Uh, some recognition for like how solid she's been throughout the entire tournament. Um, at least for me, I thought that a, a ton of great performances throughout, but unfortunately here on the final felt like, again, like kind of working the same match that she would work in general. Um, but then they just tacked on this weird finish. Yeah, totally agree. I don't have much more. I'm kind of surprised that they protected Ami here and had, didn't have Saya go over. Um, I think maybe they're, trying to because i know ami's gonna uh face hanan for the future future storm championship so she'd probably win that but um maybe down the road uh, ami's gonna get a white belt match um uh, saya um so they like it's, it's, it's like usual tournament rules like this is like uh like a draws one point a, a pinfall mm -hmm. two okay yeah so if saya won uh then she would have wound up being tied with julia yeah, uh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so I don't, I don't know who would have had the tiebreaker there. I'm not, I'm not here. I remember who won between Saya and Julia uh, in their match, but that's why that happened. And there is probably there, I, and I do think that they like that they, that they do like Ami. So that's, that's Julia that's actually would have had the tiebreaker. So okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't. Yeah, another thing. Like I don't know why. So. Then, 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 then it must be more Ami based than anything. I think that they like Ami, and like I said, I think she carried herself really well. And and Jay mentioning that that her going after the future of Stardom title or having a shot does kind of solidify that fact that like she looks really well put together and wrestles really good for someone at her level to where they probably should be more protective of her. Oh yeah, yeah. She is uh she's definitely someone that's worth the investment. So like even though it looks kind of weird based off how strongly booked Sayakamatani has been the whole year, that's still like okay, you give her eleven, you give you give Ami eleven points, you give her an ending for the tournament like this, you give her we move on, and maybe she wins the future of Stardom Belt. Like she's someone that definitely is in the plans. And then Saya, we're still waiting for that uh for that Kyrie rematch to get rebooked. So we'll see if that even uh if that if that if that even if that even happens, so uh, Mayu Mayu Iwatani versus Starlight Kid, uh, mother versus daughter, big sister versus little sister. I don't know whatever you want to whatever you want to call this. Uh, I thought this this I thought this was really really fun. I know that some people are in love with this match, and while I think this is great, um, not my favorite match of the night, but again. Mayu has been one of the best wrestlers in the world, in my opinion, for a while now. Starlight Kid continues to show that one day she's going to be in that conversation if she isn't in that conversation right now. Uh, real, real uh, contender for best match of the night, just not crossing that threshold for me. But what do you guys think? 
Yeah, I keep hopping in here in the middle and I'm going to do this intentionally now because I, I want to get some expand. I want to have some exposition expounding on my questions here. It's just some responses um, from Jay on this because it's like I get the background. I get all that. But I also I'm like, you know, hearing people talk about, you know, Voices of Wrestling had an article come up recently that was really about like how Starlight Kid is is really in that position to become the ace of the company. We talked Julia up a ton and I just don't see how Starlight Kid with her popularity and where she's at right now. Like, I mean, people are already ready to coronate Starlight Kid as if she's already the ace of the company. And I feel like, you know, she's kind of steps behind Julia, even if I do think that Starlight Kid is great. I just think it's kind of, it's a bit much already to be coronating her as the top star of the company when you still clearly have an ace who's barely starting their run towards the top championship. Um, but that said, yeah, like this in the context of the story and and these two with their background with each other and their history with each other, this is great. And you're continuing to build this, but I just don't know that Starlight's ready for that spot, even if I think she's fantastic. Um and uh, and yeah, so like I I agree with kind of Quentin your breakdown of the match itself. I think Starlight Kid is really becoming fucking phenomenal. The number two, getting it from from El Desperado and and the background of working with El Desperado. And we talked about El Desperado, and I talked about El Desperado at length with Joseph, um, in the context of that match with Jun Kasai and how he's just like, to me, he's in that conversation for best in ring wrestler in the world right now. Um, I'm really thinking about it and he's probably going to end up top five just where he's at and it's fucking nuts because that's based off of like being a new Japan junior who doesn't get what he deserves doesn't get the you know expectation like doesn't get the the kind of level of, of what he deserves or how quality is but at the big places where he gets to shine he is there and Starlight Kid is kind of in that same conversation except for she's actually in a company where they like treat you well for being as good as she is. So she actually they, has they, they had treat tons this, of they treat yeah. this they treat this woman like she she is like maybe four eleven. Right. Maybe four eleven. And yeah. they treat her like a star. Like right. everything about how they've treated Starlight Kid ever since the heel turn, and even before that, where they treat her like treat her with respect in the booking, they treat Starlight Kid like a star. Like they truly believe in her potential as like a top of the card commodity like it's yeah. it's funny to see because like again not to say that stardom is like rewriting the book on how to like use or push women but it's like starlight kids fucking tiny dude like this is a, like yeah. this this is a tiny woman but like they let her be treated and let her go out there and treat and be treated with like the same credibility of like as like Mayu or Sherry or anyone else, like she doesn't like she doesn't have to do a bunch of shit to do that. And like, granted, she's an Edo Tai, so she'll do like the heel antics. But like, she's treated with so much credibility and respect in the booking that it's kind of crazy to look at. And it's like, it's 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 a nice thing to see that they just say, "No, you're one of the best wrestlers in the roster. We don't care. We're gonna treat you like that." Right. So Jay. Onto you and onto kind of what I was talking about there, just to like kind of package package this over and hand it over to you. I'm gonna hand it off. Uh, Starlight Kid, like yeah, the the commitment to the wrestling, the idea that you know Mayu, the the kind of the final. I get. I was gonna say the final standing member of Freedom, but Carrie came back. Um, like kind of the 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 the, the stalwart of the company saying she wants to hand off the reins to her taking over her unit at some point and the connection that they have there and people being ready to coronate 
Starlight as the top star of the company so soon. Am I right to feel like it's too soon? Or or is this match, is this situation, is Starlight Kid actually the top star of the company? I heard like I heard someone pulling out stats talking about like how high she was in the voting for wrestler of the uh, you know wrestler favorite wrestler or whatever from the magazine last year and like like insanely high compared to where she should be like top 11 or something in the entire country compared to everything else like is she there am i out to lunch saying that she's not there yet or are people like kind of just trying to rush it because they're just really excited uh you're not wrong i think a lot of people are like like i i i honestly thought before the five star that she was she had a legit shot of winning it just because of like you mentioned how popular she was um but this match kind of proved it and i loved the match by the way i'm one of those people that actually did love the match i thought it was one of it was either the the second it was either second best or third best match on the show um i i really loved the match but i think with her storyline wise she has a lot of obstacles in front of her mayu's being one of them and two and we'll talk about this later natsuka toro's coming back and she's back and she's the real leader of Oyotai. That's going to, I think that's going to be the next thing that's going to be consuming next year with Oyotai is Starlight Kid and her faction, Young OED versus Natsuka Tora and, and that, that version oh. of Oyotai. I think that's oh, going to no. be the. <laughs> yeah, you can't think- tell me that Abushi Road Company promotion is running a split faction warfare storyline. I know, right? Like it's it, but um, I think that's going to be it. To me, that's you have that. Um, she's never been inside Kamatani for the for the white belt. She beat her early in the tournament um, this year, but she hasn't been her for for a championship. Uh, she has Zumi, who's always going to be lurking around. They're eternal. They are quote unquote eternal foes. That's the marketing campaign for for those two. Um, so with, with Starlight Kid, she already has built in things that she has to overcome, even though she's a heel in the, in the company, she already has these certain things that's going to, could have put that already put in front of her that I don't think that's going to make her, uh, the ace of the company. I mean, there's too many things, um, in the booking that I think, uh, uh prohibits her from doing that. Not, it'll, it will happen. I think it will happen. I think they, you know, Rossi's been, on record, um, you know, seeing the you know being seeing the potential of her uh, compared to Zumi, but um, you know, I think that's kind of the good thing about Bushi Road balances out because now with with Bushi Road, I know Milano Collection ET, who's the trainer there, he's high on Azumi, so it kind of balances out there with you know, and Kadani's talked about Azumi, how great she is being a, a young star at her age. Every, every, everyone kind of has their believers. Like, yep, yep. It, doesn't, it, it doesn't feel like anyone's getting left behind. And naturally, someone might at some point, but it feels like everyone has, like, you're going to get your shot at some point, whether it's Suzuki, whether it's Azumi, or whether it's Starlight Kid. It's like, you're going to get your shot at some point. Absolutely. Absolutely. And going back to the match, um, this is Mayu still going to be one of the roadblocks because Mayu beat her and shut the door on her. Um, but I thought they had a, um, even though I liked the match last year at the five-star Grand Prix, I thought this was a lot better paced out match, even with the 15 minute time limit. Um, because last year it was 20 minute time limit, but on that final night, they rushed everything so they could have that, 
that 20 minute 20 minute draw with uh with Takumi Rojas Shuri and then you had the, the long match with with Momo and Shuri and like the last three matches were long but they rushed everything with this one really balanced it out everything was everything throughout this card was really um balanced out um that actually had time and but we'll get to it later but um I thought this was really good and and just her control segments just some of the best stuff I've seen in modern wrestling today like I think she's she's one of those people that just puts it all together and she's been she's trained with stardom stardom homegrown trained with Fuka trained with I think a little bit trained with Nanai but mostly under EO like she's getting to I know you're saying that's when you said how tiny she is she reminded me so much of EO in this match just mm-hmm. controlling the pace and a little bit quicker, but just controlling the pace, controlling, uh, controlling. Uh, um, it, it really felt a little bit like a like a EO and, EO and Mayu match from 2015-2016, and just really good pacing throughout the match. And um, I and I know why people think Starlight Kid's going to be the next big thing, but give it some time. She's not there yet. Um, Tommy, like it's, 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 <laughs> this is what makes Stardom such a weird promotion to talk about and why it's so great is like we're doing all this talk about all like the next generation the next generation like utami is still right there when utami's 24 yeah like like we're just acting like utami isn't there (laughs) it's it's crazy well and jay you brought it up earlier but you've got cosmic angels and kind of the whole situation there with them being in their 30s and feeling like oh you guys are getting you know, past the point of, you know, no return, you're just washed up in this. And Quentin, you're talking about you still got people who are in their 20s and, and just fucking Starlight Kid is the new... Ch- and it's like, we also have to readjust for the fact that, like, the world is changing and Joshi Wrestling is not like, you know, you have to retire when you hit that fucking golden number. Like, these women can keep wrestling, especially when you have someone like Tam who wrestled two matches on the show and closes out the main event with the kind of performance that she does and she's at 34 and they're talking to her they're talking about her like she's an old fucking maid and she's actually still one of the best wrestlers in the company so they're gonna have to people are going to really need to readjust their expectations about the timelines of these wrestlers careers when you have so many people at the top and it feels like this insane long jam log jam who are not ready to fucking leave at any time soon yeah yeah the only thing that's gonna hurt I could see her in the roster's injuries. That's, I mean, it could be egos, you know, just like any other wrestling company. We'll talk about a uh, supposed rumor with Yunagi Sayaka and Maika um, later on. But, you know, I, I to me, I think it's the biggest thing is injuries. I'm like, you know, I saw a lot of bandages, a lot of people beat up during this show, but it's regular. It's Star has been like that for a while, but they've gotten settled into a groove, and a lot of people haven't been a lot of a lot of people haven't surprisingly haven't been injured like in mass quantity. Like the injury bug hasn't hit them, and now I knock on my knock on my, yeah. knock on my table, knock on wood. Hopefully that doesn't happen. People start going down left and right, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, Tekla, she was out. She was supposed to be in this tournament, but I th- I really think injuries are the only thing that's going to stop them from from real from really you know playing out and you know just the the groups of people you know starlight kids 20 azumi's 20 suzuki if she jumps she's 20 um hazuki's 24 you know she's retired twice <laughs> this is a crazy thing it's, it's about like it. a it's a yeah. the way of you start them right now is like and like people might not like this one but it's like kind of like 
how I view New Japan if they didn't have all those other exits happen. Like, imagine right. if we're like looking at a roster where like you still got more years out of Shinsuke Nakamura and you still got the Tetsuya Naito explosion and you still got more years of Tanahashi and Okada kept doing what he was doing, but like you still got the heap AJ Styles and you still got to have Sh- yeah, Shibata's doing Shibata doing his thing. You still got to keep Kenny. Like stardom is kind of getting to realize what new Japan didn't even get to realize. And I'm not saying that they'll even get to like the same success domestically in terms of ticket sales or whatever else, but in terms of like roster strength and like just talent on the roster, this is like getting to ridiculous levels because even new Japan couldn't even like maintain that dream roster for like, for very long without having a bunch of like a turnover of people leaving. Oh, yeah. yeah. You didn't even mention, we both didn't even mention Kushida there, who just recently returned and got hand, foot, and mouth disease. Uh, and it's been out for a month or whatever. But yeah. Oh, you mean, you mean lupus? <laughs> yeah. That's, Jesus. You know it's lupus. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm um, kidding. <laughs> but uh, obviously, luckily, you mentioned uh, Suzu Suzuki and, you know, her jumping ship and everything. Luckily, like we said, Quentin, you mentioned we've been dragging. So we got this match here Julia versus Suzu. And, and none of us have anything to say about this, right? Just skip skip over it. Oh yeah, yeah, just just yeah. Just, just, yeah. Just, just just casually the best match of the night. Uh, just <laughs> Jesus, just, just yes. no big, no, just no big deal. Uh, no, this fucking rocked. Like, yeah, Jesus Christ, <laughs> this is like, uh, this is fucking incredible. Um, <laughs> yes, this is I like love, a magnum man, opus. This is a masterwork match. Both fucking assholes come out here crying, like, just, but like, subtly, fuck both of them, like. Yeah. <laughs> Oh and yes! Then, like, this is this is the this is the middle of the show. Like this is not the main event. This is like smack dab the middle of the show. Like, fuck them for telling such like a ridiculously great emotional story just in the middle of the show like this. But god damn, dude, look at the conversations we're having about stardom. Suzu's twenty. Mm-hmm. Suzu mm-hmm. is twenty years old. Like, like what are we doing here, man? <laughs> Like, what is this company? And this is just it, like, oh my God. I'll just jump in. I love the match, too. And um, for her to have the emotional depth to bring to that match, I think anybody else with this, with the backstory and the storyline coming into it, I think it would be in the wrong hands. But they, but Julia and Suzu worked to perfect, worked to perfection. Um, just the storyline, bring the storyline in. And even if you're not, I'm not a stardom fan coming into it. If you don't know the backstory, you knew quite quickly um, what it was. And I know um, Kevin Kelly's talked about, because he's calling the the stardom crossover show in New Japan. Um, and I forgot which podcast it was, but um, I know Russell Pierce kind of pulled out. It was Russell Pierce or, or, or another account pulled out the quote that's saying like, um, you could see Stardom having a TV, like an American TV show deal, um, quick, more quickly oh, yeah. than, than New Japan. Um, to me, if they were able to do something like what New Japan doing with Access and pull out like a like a match, like a match, um, an episode or like or package two matches in an hour or something like that for American TV, you put this match on here. Have Kevin Kelly talk, you know, call this match or someone else call the match. That's a really good commentator. Um, even if you don't have a really good commentator, they could tell the story from from them crying and 
oh man, it was just so so good, so so good. Oh man, I ah uh, <laughs> this because... okay. This match is like that amazing cross section. This is again like we we're talking about Julia. I was talking about Julia earlier being the you know the best well rounded person like wrestler. Like this is the this is the match that kind of proves that because this match. It's all about all the drama there and the crying and all of that. And it's done perfectly because everything is subtle enough while also being like, you know, you can pick it up and it feels it's authentic and it's real. It's there, but it's not over the fucking top. It's not cartoony, all that. And that's like a big part of why this match is great. But then the nuts and bolts and the physicality is off the fucking charts and the teasing and the way that they layered the story of the moves like having the psychology of like so much stuff that's happened throughout the tournament being like built to in here with like the use of Suzu doing that and that, that uh, the German suplex thing that she does like Jay, is there a name for that? Cause I've heard people refer to it as the double German, but like that does not describe what the fuck is going on there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I'm, I'm bad with moves, but I don't remember. I don't remember yeah. the name of it, but yeah, it's a, I, I just call it the rolling the rolling yeah. German suplex, but it's not that, like Benoit. Yeah. You know, no, <laughs> yeah. That, that move needs a special name because that move is fucking wild. It's like it's like doing a stationary stalling fucking chaos theory German, like basically is what it is, and it's nuts. Dude, um, so yeah. So, like like what the fuck, dude? <laughs> like yeah. I don't understand. So, yeah. so basically my, my final point is that this match it had all the drama and the emotion of the biggest fucking you know, Brett or Shawn Michaels versus Ric Flair, you know, melodrama thing, except for actually doing it right and well. Um, and then you had all of the fucking physicality of the high end, you know, whoever you think is really good at doing moves matches at this point. I don't even know who's the top moves guy anymore. Um, that's how old I've gotten. But yeah, this was fucking great and really shows just like where the, the where the high end quality wrestling is. And it's here in stardom. Yeah, from the headbutts to Suzu mm. throwing close fits punches, which if you know the history yeah. of stardom, the close fits punches, it's like that it, means it, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like oh shit, like I'm, 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 I'm going to like watch this match as soon as we're done again. Like as soon as we're done with this, go <laughs> I'm going to go watch this again. It's just like yeah, uh, this is great. I'm not even sure. Like I don't want to like just sit there and throw it over something, but it's in my top ten. But like I love this match. I really, really. Love this match, and like it'll probably be in like my top fifteen to twenty. Like I, I love this match. Um, next we have two matches that eh, we can just kind of go by. We have Unagi, yeah. Unagi Sayaka versus uh, Momokogo. They both finish with four points. Uh, Momokogo still wrestles like a like a like a deer in headlight. Sometimes he's getting better, but still looks a little, a little uncomfortable. Which you know, hopefully changes. Uh, Unagi Sayaka, I. I like, but still, you know, one of the not still not one of the best people on the roster or anything. So this we can just uh, blow by. Like this could even gone shorter than the time they gave them. They gave them like five and a half minutes. They could have even went shorter, honestly. Uh, Saki yeah. Kashima, Saki Kashima versus Azumi uh, goes le- goes less than a this minute. Could have gone longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, fun for what it what we got from it, I guess. Um, um, Saki Saki playing spoiler on on Azumi is like the perfect Saki thing. So on the poor, pl- poor girl's birthday, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so like Kashima playing spoiler on Azumi is like the perfect Kashima thing. So uh, I thought that I thought that I thought that was fun. Um, Kaguma versus oh. Utami. Oh, what, what, Before what, we what, skip what, over, 
Jay, give us the drama stuff because I don't even know about this. The Unagi oh, 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 so um, supposedly with Unagi, she did something on Twitter months ago. I didn't even catch this, but I guess this was a thing with the Japanese Japanese fans on Twitter that she tweeted out something alleging that Micah had a relationship with Taka, Taka Michinoku. And oh, if, great. Okay. Yeah. And, and Micah, you know, quote tweet saying, don't, you know, you know, this is not cool or something, something to that extent. And, um, you know, supposedly on, um, cause I, I, you know, um, <laughs> Let's say my 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 observer subscription lasts, but I'm I'm I am uh, signing back up um, <laughs> uh, on the observer board. Which, if people are not signed up to observer, I'd, I'd say even sign up for it because I know a lot of people. I used to be someone that stayed away from the board for a long time, but um, a lot of people in the wrestling business are on the board, <laughs> and you get surprised things like um, like a certain person that works for Sarnum that's on the board and. And and said that um, there was an incident, uh, supposedly an incident, and this is just going off this person's account. There was a an incident with um, stemming from the tweet that and backstage there there was an incident with Unagi and Micah. So um, it's interesting because during the five star Grand Prix they met uh, they met they had a match in, in Osaka and it was really professional and Unagi controlled most of the match and was doing fine, but. Um, I think because after the five star Grand Prix, they had a press conference the day after. That's where everybody was sorry speculating, including myself, because Unagi was not booked on any of the shows. She was only booked for stuff outside of the promotion, like a like a GTO show and a Diana show. Um, and she released a video um saying stating in kayfabe that, you know, she took a step back and started losing all these matches, so she's gonna Go out out of the promotion. She's still with Cosmic Angels, um, but she's going to go out and wrestle outside of Sardom, which a lot of people thought, including myself, because um, the timeline with Ushirobe, they bought Stardom in uh, September of 2019. So when that happened, they gave a whole bunch of people, most of the roster, full time contracts. And with Japanese contracts, they run, they're, they're usually one year. I know Bushiro has done differently with New Japan recently just because of all the jumps with Nakamura and AJ Styles and all this stuff. But with Unagi, um, I, th- I think, and a lot of people also thinking that her contract was renewed. Uh, she's still on the roster page um, because we took cues from last year, Jungle Kyun and, and uh, Samiri Natsu. Uh, as soon as their contract was up, they were taken immediately off the roster page. And uh, Jungle announced it, and 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 Sumiri Natsu didn't even make an announcement. She just she was off the off the roster. So uh, with that, with Unagi, a lot of people think the same. And um, that's that with the, the burgeoning um, okay controversy that something um, must so, have happened with that. Okay, so following uh, the like the biggest incident in the sports world recently. Um, do you think? Do we think that Micah Superman punched Unagi? <laughs> Maybe I don't know. <laughs> because, oh, because, uh, because what Dr- because what Draymond Green did to Jordan Poole was a Superman punch, and yeah, I'm still in shock 
about that video. <laughs> so, like, when you said the biggest controversy, I thought you were referring to Emmy Doka. So, uh, oh, 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 oh no, Draymond Green just like, just like, just like gave us Celtics fans like a good, at least a good week. I'm not having to think about eBay. <laughs> he, 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 gave, he gave us at least a week without having to think about that. <laughs> oh, uh, Kaguma, uh, Kaguma versus Utami uh, Hayashishida. Um, they both finished with 14 points. Um, they both Kaguma, look really good here. Like a, yeah. a, we talked about the different styles in Stardom, and this was like a hybrid fight between the styles. And they, I thought they gelled well. Mm, and I think that they could um have like even better stuff in the future if they like give them more uh give them more chances to do stuff. Like uh I think it's really again, I like looking at the booking, it's really encouraging. Certain things are really encouraging. Like Kaguma getting 14 points. And granted she had just um, I'm not sure if she's still holding the belts or was just or whatever with uh who was she holding who's she holding the tag team belts with? Was Suzuki or who was it? Uh, yeah, yeah, Suzuki. Was, yeah, yeah. Suzuki. Yeah, I'm not sure. If she, I'm not sure. If she, I'm not sure if she still is. But like, no, she had no. just had. The, she had just had the tag, the tag team belts and had the, had a push with that going on. So to see her finish with that many points, like, it's yeah, it's encouraging. Like, it's not like you're not seeing her like completely out of contention here. And like, yeah, it's like you know, by, by the time everything shakes out, you see that she is. She can only finish with a maximum of 14 points. But like. She this is this is a good this is a good spot for her. Uh playing spoiler for Utami. So uh Tam had a clearer path uh to to the final to the finals there. But I thought this was very fun. Um cage match rating only is six point it was only six point five six, which I I guess I get it, but like I will I really enjoyed this and like I think that they have a better match uh in the future between them. Yeah, I um with Kaguma um when she hit the like that code red for the win, like yeah, this off the assisted, like she was going for the black tire bomb, Tommy, and and she countered it. It reminded me of um, in Osaka when they had the pay per view with with uh, Momo and Utami, and and they kind of botched like the the one of the near falls, and it was supposed to be like Momo doing the doing doing the double knees um to counter that and i thought like kaguma just nailed this nailed the the code red but um with utami i I like utami now that she doesn't have the she's pushed away from the title scene that she gets to troll all of her opponents um you know it started with the utami nakano thing with her trolling tam acting like tam and like the the crowd literally liking it in this in this match her kind of trolling Kogamo with the bear poses and all that stuff. So if Utami, you know, she she descends to um, being a troll, I, I, I would kind of appreciate it. You know, if if she goes through a cycle just trolling all her opponents. So, um, but yeah, yeah, I like this match too. Uh, not going to have much to say about this one, even though it's... um. The, the podcast favorite wrestler, Tam Nakano versus Saki. Uh, Tam Nakano punches her ticket to the final by beating Saki here. Uh, fine match. No, good, perform- good performance from, uh, from Tam here. But definitely made it clear that, like, Julia had a harder path getting to the, uh, yeah. getting to the final than, uh, than, Tam- than, than Tam did. Um yeah. Not sure if you guys have anything there for this match or I mean Tam makes everything look like a struggle, right? Like that's 
That's just yeah. how great she is. So, like, yeah, totally. And it does almost at some points kind of feel like, why did you even do that when you were the afterthought? You know, you're kind of going <laughs> over the top. But that's Tam. Like, she's fucking, she's going to give 110% no matter what. So, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely with you that, like, Julia had the bigger thing that really stands out and stands the test of time. But Tam was not uh, taking it easy. And, and she does the drama and she does the, the handhold and the post-match and all of that stuff. Like, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what do you guys think of Saki? Because I've I've liked her in the past, but I think in the tournament she was just fine. Like like Quinn, like you said, like the mattress is fine. Like I think throughout the tournament, Saki's just been okay. Like she's just good solid wrestler. And I've always liked her. Like yeah. like we need more solid wrestlers just just in Joshi in general. Like everybody, mm. you know, there's is hyperbole hyperbolic you know people going hyperbolic saying everybody's great in joshi but it really is not but and we need like more like good good solid workers and i think saki is but i think tokyo tokyo, tokyo joshi pro would like greatly benefit from having someone even as good as saki on the roster yeah yeah <laughs> but in the five stars she did very much feel like replacement level middle of the road like someone who could was going to give you something solid every night but really did not hit super high highs in the tournament. Right, but I like in like in, in previous tournaments though, like if you go back like years back looking at the Grand Prix, like there's people that you could call like bad wrestlers in these tournaments though. And like depending on your mileage on someone like Bomo Kogo or like even if like your mileage on like on like Saki Kashima's gimmick, like there's no one here that I would call terrible anymore. No. Which like you could at least like say that there were some people that were bad like a few years back. That's just like a real testament to the strength of the roster at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Hemeka versus Micah. Uh, the power, the powerhouse is clashing here. Uh, comes down to a double KO, which is executed really well. I thought both of these two wound up at 15 points. Uh, not my favorite match of the night. But this was super, super fun. And if someone had this at their match of the night, I wouldn't begrudge them at all because this yeah. was really fun. Yeah, the kind of sickos who, you know, used to really get get off on Sam's old, uh, d- you know, podcast, you know, the Wazim cast or the We Don't Know Wrestling podcast or whatever back in the day, the guys who love to talk about hoots and people shooting on each other and all that. This is this is their kind of match. And we talked about it earlier with the double count out between... Um, Amy Sarai and, and uh, Saki uh, uh, oh. Sayakamatani, yeah, where it felt like solid match and then attacked on double count out finish. This whole match felt like it was built around the idea that we're getting to two bulls just fucking knocking each other out at the same time. Like, yeah, this they this finish did not feel tacked on. It felt like it made perfect sense in the match. And this is that's honestly probably a major feather in the cap for stardom where you can have the example of how not to do this kind of finish and then how to do this kind of finish on the same show back to back so you can really point to it because sometimes you're like you know by the end of whatever you're like ah they did it wrong but i don't know really i can't think off the top of my head how to do it right and it's like no on stardom you're like oh yeah i can tell you how to do it right because they did it right later on the same fucking show yeah yeah i mean I like this match, and I I like Mecca and Micah. I've called them the regulators. Like they're, they're just a badass tag team, and I I hope they're they what LCO was in the AGW, what they are to start them. I hope they're a long term tag team down the road. 
I mean, they're going to get singles pushes, but I hope they just become like this this badass tag team that um, people remember for a long time. And but um, I don't know. To me, they won the um, the Red Stars best match, best bout of the tournament, which was kind of weird because you like the best match of the tor- tournament in that block was probably Shuri and Tommy. And that happened the second night of this tournament. Like, <laughs> like, I, I don't, I don't know. Like it's, it was really weird how like those awards happen, like happen to be doled out. But, you know, I think, um, cause Saki Kashman, we'll talk about it later, but Saki Kashman won most outstanding, most outstanding after beating a whole bunch of people by roll up. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, that's 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 awesome. Yeah, that's stardom. But yeah, um, I really like really like the match, but I didn't think it was as great as people other people thought it was. Even though I love both of them, mm. uh, Risa Sarah versus uh, versus Shuri. Uh, Sarah ends her tournament with fifteen points. Shuri ends hers with fourteen points. Sarah playing spoiler here. Uh, I'm clearing up clearing up the path once again for Tam. To make her way to the final, I thought this was really fun too. I thought this was really good. We talked about it before yeah. on the podcast a few different times that Sherry is just so much better here in this setting instead of forcing her to be the champion that goes long. And I'm not going to say that she wound up being my favorite wrestler of the tournament, but wound up being pretty damn close. And like it's been that been a thing since she's been on the roster that I feel like she just she's really good for settings like this and if you watch sherry before the jump to stardom this was her wheelhouse this was her bread and butter this where she was always like her her, her most comfortable at and like granted she's adapting and learning how to work in those long title match you're the a situations but this is her most comfortable place when it comes to her wrestling and she does it just about better than anyone on the roster yeah, no, yeah, I agree with that completely. And this is this is a fantastic kind of, you know, it's the semi-main event where you feel like you're building up to this gigantic emotional dump and what you're actually getting is just like this insanely solid wrestling match that in, that in a ton of other contexts I actually think would be super highly praised and really enjoyed. But unfortunately, in this context, it almost feels like an afterthought. But no, like going back and watching it again, you know, to review the show, I'm just like, yeah, this actually fucking rocked like this was so good like the 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 competitiveness between the two uh risa sarah kind of playing like underneath when it comes to shuri's like technical prowess but being a fighter and really like bringing it throughout it and having basically never say die attitude that pays off towards the end was was perfect and again like i said in any other situation i think this is a match that people are like shouting and talking about like it you know if if a match this good happened on a gcw show i think that people would lose their fucking mind but in this situation it feels like just a major afterthought uh yeah and quentin like you mentioned like siri being comfortable in these types of situations um adam summers from the from the adam mike big audio nightmare on f4w online they he kind of mentioned that siri's kind of it's she he mentioned also that Shuri's best in this role also and in, in some almost similar to Felt like Tom Lawler, just in a tournament setting, limited time just to do the they could do their best work in short short sprints, sort of like the shoot fighters. Um 
kind of like what they do. Um, you know, Matt Rule in in that way also. Um, just short. You don't have to go that long. You only go 15 minutes, and I think they do a lot better in that time frame than going big, epic 30-minute style match, 20-minute style match, you know, stuff like that. Um, and I, I, I tend to agree with both you guys. Um, I think it's funny with Shuri because um, I think in, in our Slack, um, I think it was Alex that brought up, you know, Kana, Asuka, um, for GWE. It was a GWE 2026. That's, yeah. that's the vote. Yeah. And how many votes she's going to get. And you have to think like in the 20, guess in the 2010s, like, like 2000, 2010s, she basically dominated the women's scene. But it was funny because with Kana, like her main rival was Shuri in those smash, in those years in smash. Yeah. And Shuri was yeah. super young and she was really good then. But now, you know, her being, you know, close to close to her mid thirties, you know, Shuri's doing basically the best work of her career. And same thing as same thing as Oscar kind of if you wanted to look at it that way, when like for like yeah. for when Kana was already was always like awesome if mm-hmm. you watched her. But then like something just clicked in NXT that just like wow like was like wow where this come from? Like she was always charismatic, but now suddenly she is just like must watch even on like American television. And like Sherry, we've seen Sherry forever. We've seen Sherry for years. She's not new, which made like the push and like the sudden like Bushiro getting behind her like so weird. Like, wow, like why, why would they suddenly just get behind Sherry like this? But then like you see her and like we can have our issues with it, but like she's taken to it and they treat her like a star and she like comes across like a star and like has started to develop a charisma where even if those 35 minute matches are a little bit out of her wheelhouse, it's like she's starting to put together like that whole package aspect of it that she didn't have before. And it took like kind of the same time to like figure out too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm interested to see, I know we're only in 2022, how this, the rest of this decade would shake out, you know, thinking about GWE 2026, what will, you know, sure. might just have a case, you know, just dominating the last like six years that she'll be, by the time voting comes up, what think, sort of uh, place was it going to be? I think Stardom is going to be a really interesting promotion. Uh, mm-hmm. By the time, by the time this is all said and done, like you have like someone like Stephen Graham who's going to be at the forefront of the project and going to be pushing like women's wrestling anyway. But like, just people like Tam and Julia and your and Amayu Iwatani, like just based off of those three, it's like what could even like those three ceilings if you give them four more years and nothing about counting like sherry and the stardom crew was going to be a really interesting evaluation in four more years because people might not be super behind them right now but if they're a high level promotion with pretty much the same roster and they just keep getting bigger and bigger and uh more things go their way like if they're gonna these wrestlers are gonna have to be in that conversation at some point and like Mayu for me is someone that like I I'm, I'm already gonna consider for my list, but give Starlight Kid more time, give Julia more time, give Tam more time. Uh, like it's it's not out of the realm possibility that these two that these guys could like sneak on someone's list. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, 
Yeah. I, I'm if if I had to vote now, I mean, Mayu's on my list. You know, Eo's on my. You know, Freedom's mm-hmm. on my yeah, list. Yeah, yeah, of course. But um, in terms of this current crew, I don't know. Maybe Tam would be on my list. Be be low, but she'd be on my list. Um, but in terms of this, it, it would take. Definitely, this is why you know twenty. It's going to be have to be twenty twenty six. It's going to take a long time, and it, it might. It's it's going to it's going to be interesting. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see um, with this group, especially because um, even though I'm I'm not as bullish as a lot of people are in terms of um, you know projecting the future, but if they could do it. Um, because just the because it's just the nature of wrestling, I I think it's really it could be unstable. Like within the next couple of years, um, not seeing that Storm's going to be unstable. I think they're going to be great, but you just never know what's going to happen. I mean, God, we didn't think that they would have like backstage fights in AEW, you know, the past couple of months and all this other stuff. So, um, but yeah, like just just thinking down the road like if they stick together that's the thing they stick together no in, no major injuries there'll be contention there will be i'll have to really think about it um in terms of the list because there was a lot of people i think um you know stephen graham they are what stephen's done is um really honorable because i think with joshi wrestling um it was really pushed aside the last time GWE was voted. Yeah, it wasn't and, the same. It wasn't the same way it was in twenty in, in two thousand six, no. where like that was one of the darling things. And by the time twenty sixteen happens, it's not anymore. Yeah, and I think it's going to be like a a market overcorrection. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, um, I don't think people are going to. I know what Stephen's intention is. It's good, but um i don't think i don't think it's gonna be such a like you know we gotta promote promote women promote women it's more of storm's gonna over time gonna prove like yo these are great wrestlers and we they can't be denied you know it's gonna be it's gonna be another batch of wrestlers like how the new japan guys at the time yeah, they were kind of shunned yeah, yeah that, that's what i'm gonna say it's like it kind of feels like that right now it's like am i really gonna sit there in four years and like look at like what julia has done since she's jumped to stardom and say if we're gonna look at it from like julia got good in stardom from in like 2020 and then we're doing our ballots by the in like spring 2026 and like look at her run and like yeah that might not be that long to that many people but if she's been a great wrestler or was a great wrestler for six years, then it's like, okay, at some point you might have to just start considering her. Like it's just like it's just gonna have, it's just gonna be a thing at, at that point well, in time. It's the other side of the the, the kind of recency slash time bias that I think people have referenced in the past, right? Which is that like you know, two years in WCW feels like a thousand years in TNA or whatever, where it's just like. Um, there is so much of that that people overlook and they just don't the old timers maybe more people now will like start to start to see this but like the old timers miss it I guess because when you compare a career and a peak of like someone like you know Brian Daniels you know Brian Danielson um, 
to someone like Ric Flair, you're like looking at where it's like this guy had a peak that was like, you know, five years versus a guy who had a peak that was like 10 years. You know, the younger guys have these insanely long runs. And even even then, it's like, do you even really feel like Danielson's peak is 10 years? Because then we can look at it like... Yeah, yeah, you get my point. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. where it's like people look at it and they're just like, oh, it feels... Kofi Kingston feels like he was in WWE for like two minutes and you're like actually he's been in wwe for 20 fucking years yeah yeah actually, mm-hmm. it's like just kofi, like this weird actually like bias yeah, actually kofi kingston was like having a prominent few with randy orton in what 2007 or 8 whatever that was yeah. like yeah. yeah 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 so you it's like when you start looking at it you're just like these people who people hold as like legendary figures in the history of wrestling who have wrestling careers that are like five six years long and then you look at people now in the modern era who have like very great wrestling careers that are 10 12 15 20 years long it's like i'm sorry but like uh, you your guys are getting lapped I, I i hate to tell you this but like the old timers who really love these legendary old figures for whatever like your guys are getting absolutely completely smashed and destroyed and lapped by the new wrestlers who are doing this shit for for so much longer they're just like it's just not you have to accept this. It's just the case. So you cannot make longevity arguments for your guys. So you, all you can do is do peak arguments, and then you start looking at it, and when you really pick it apart, like, the peaks are probably better. <laughs> like, they really are. Like, you have some good peaks there, and you have some great wrestling in the past, and stuff is good. And, like, someone like Bruno is undeniable, right? The guy just, he had this insanely long run. It was fucking in incredible heights but then when you start looking at the like mid-level guys and the the, you know the shorter you know guys who everyone just keeps talking about over and over again forever but you're like this motherfucker wrestled for five years i'm sorry but he's not better than chris hero who's wrestled for fucking 25 years you know like I'm, i'm sorry you just cannot argue this stuff anymore like you have to just accept that it feels different but that doesn't mean that it is different yeah, yeah, and well, I there's somebody I want to bring up because they'll be voted high sure. in GWE. I'll bring it up after we talk about the Julia Tan match because there's a perfect yeah, yeah. parallel with, well, with how we, their stories. Before we move on, I just want to reference this that uh, you mentioned it earlier that on commentary we had a hard gay and real gay on commentary, but we did have in the semifinal, the semi main event, we had. Uh, karate gay uh, and Shuri there, so there is that connection. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, just to piggyback off the discussion, like I was going to talk about, I'll I'll talk about that wrestler after the Julia Tam final. But um, thinking about you know just in the Joshi wrestling realm, you know Bull Nakano, we always think like you know she's one of the the gods of of Japanese women's wrestling. You know, she started thinking about it. She's started her career in '83. Didn't really get she. I mean, she got pushed, but she didn't really get pushed till '85. And then she stopped by '96. So relatively, I want to say from '85 to '94, '85 to '94, because like she had that weird, she had the weird period, and you know. W, you know, WWF, WCW, WCW, w, 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 yeah. you know, going to, you know, tying it all back to Inoki. Inoki was bringing in Akira Hokuto and Bull Nakano after they left All Japan Women to do like uh, the North Korea show and, and other Inoki 
shows, random Noki shows and the Press and Peace Festival and all that, all that stuff. So by 96, her career was gone. So um, for that, like, she has a really small time frame. Whereas, you know, look at, you look at the Kanas, Asuka's, Io Shirai's, she's been in for around 15 years. Um, you know, if, yeah, I just made that it, joke, but Shuri, Shuri started in Hustle, and that's like fucking 12 years ago at this point. Yeah. yeah. Even like Mike, like Micah, like Micah, who we view as a contemporary of those of those of those people, is like Micah still is like we, we might not know because he's being she decided that she'd just go hiding in uh in NXT UK and <laughs> we might we're not even might not even sure how long she's gonna even still be with WWE at this point, but it's like yeah, Micah, who still what still really good, yeah, yeah, and she debuted ninety five, yeah. I want to say, yeah, so. Like there's like now it's just it's it's longer it's longer peaks uh they're better shape you know they've taken care of their bodies better um it's just yeah <laughs> like it's like Tim said yeah. like the the they're <laughs> I don't want to say they're lapping them I don't want to say that but it's they're coming close they are. like it's <laughs> they are lapping them I mean I'm sorry but like. These people who are holed up in high regard as like legendary figures, like they just they don't have the longevity. They really don't. I love. I I'm a big fan of like the old school wrestling, and there's a lot of stuff there that I love. But you just at some point you just have to accept it. Like there's not, and this what it really comes down to is like again I keep saying it, but the Brian Danielson thing, man. Like there's just not historically, no matter who you think is better than him at whatever stage. There's like, there's just no historical wrestler who's had the length of greatness that he has here. Like, it's just, it accumulates to a point where it's just, it's overcoming everything. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, do you guys want to get to yeah. Julia versus Tam now? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk so, about it. We're talking about Julia, match of the year, right? Yeah. Julia versus Tam Nakano. I mean, God damn, man. Like, just two years with these two of just great match after great match, emotional, emotionally draining, murdering each other and just hitting the shit out of each other in the most gross and ridiculous ways. Um, yeah, this was everything that you that you'd want it to be. This was all the bomb throwing and anger that you'd want it to be. This was Julia after everything that's happened in the last year or so since um since Tam beat her and she had and, he, and she had to shave shave her head um all the chaos in her unit and all the like stuff that's going on with the prop with prop with the prominence people and everything it's just so much that Julia's had going on and now to come back and be in the final facing the person that was th- that was the cause of her most Humiliating defeat is a great story in itself, and something to yeah. really get behind. But then also at the it's same amazing. time, these, like, these two just beat stop. the shit out of each other. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, amazing when you talk about that, Quentin. Like it's just like after everything she's been through, and we talk about the Suzu Suzuki match, it's like, and then this old thorn in your side just comes back from the fucking grave that you thought you got rid of years ago. At this point, and they're right there in front of you again. So I lo- I love this again. I like the Julia versus Suzu match a little bit more, but this was just a special night 
for Julia as a wrestler. Some people might not be super into the bomb throwing aspect of this. I think that's just what the Julia and Tam matches are. And I'm into it. And I think that they're really great at it. And they just kill each other. Like if you're looking for violence, then they deliver that in spades when wrestling each other. And I couldn't ask for more here because everything that they did and the, the story they told fits perfectly within the context of the story they've told for the last two years, whether it was Tam's story of her validating herself and validating herself on the roster and that she was a worthwhile person in stardom. And whether it was Julia's journey of having to work her way back up the top of the top of the roster, like they've covered, they covered every base there and I loved it. And if it match of the year i wouldn't really begrudge them or somewhere in the top five i wouldn't begrudge them at all because this is just revisiting one of the probably maybe the best story stardom has been telling for the last couple of years and this is great um with that being said am i super excited for like a julia and sherry uh rematch i mean not really like what i think that they that they'll go out there and do something good and maybe they'll work it approach approach the match differently who knows? But like everything that happened on this night for the finals of the Grand Prix was perfect for getting me back in and really me back into Julia and Julia's story. Yeah, I mean, the the drama between these two is fucking amazing. Tam Nakano is just if there's yeah most outstanding performer of the year kind of category, that's where she belongs. Like, just oh my fucking god, everything she does like over the top and as you talked about it like doing the big bombs and the drama in between like that's that's where she excels so if you if you have an issue with that like you really just you just are one of these people who i talk about where they check off things on a list all they do is they you know and i i, I hate to say it because it's just it's a very particular kind of mindset where it's just like you have concepts you have like really basic ideas and all you do is just check them off and if if a match does xyz that means it's bad and if it does you know abc that means it's good but unfortunately this is one of those matches where they can do the bad stuff but they do it right and tam is just like the queen of that she's just absolutely the best at doing all of the stupidest over-the-top cartoony hokey bullshit that i normally fucking hate because i'm you know a wrestling purist at heart who really likes my shit to look real as fuck and tam does not come across like a real fighter even for a second but she's this insane ball of energy She's like, a, you know, a mix, a mix of like, a, you know, whatever fucking random weird, you know, Muppet that you want to pick out and like fucking Terry Funk, you know, like that's where she's at. She's just like she's animal from the fucking Muppet show band mixed with Terry Funk, where she's just like the biggest drama, the over the top fucking incredibility. But the way that like the colors fly across the screen at this insane pace, that's just like fucking in just unimaginably fucking intense. If you watch a Tam Nakano match, I don't understand how you don't instantly become a fan of Tam Nakano. Like, God damn it. And here's the thing. At the end of the day, she was the afterthought of the match. She was the second most important thing of the match because Julia is out here proving to the world who she is and what she is. And she's got drama within her unit, which I think even plays into the post-match where instantly Poi is in the ring checking on uh checking on tam and julia is there having just one and it takes a while before anyone shows up for her and anyone's like checking to see how she's doing you know because 
there's this drama. She is no one man is an island where Julia is an island. She's like she's able to do everything on her own. She doesn't need anyone to back her up. She needs no support. She's just this undefeatable tank. And that's the thing where she's presented like just this amazing fucking unbeatable ace, golden ace of the company. Uh, Jay, what did you think of the match? Uh, I really liked it. It, remind, it reminded me of the match they had for the Wonder of Stardom Championship on the first Stardom pay-per-view in 2020. Um, I won't say this is their best match. I still, I single, still think the hair versus hair match is slightly better. Um, it's weird because like I've had a weird thing with how trying to rate um, all year how good these matches are. Like they're really like it's really hard because they're really really good. And um, um, I, I've heard some people go five stars or four four three quarters with this. And um, but I don't know. Like I'm I'm not. You know, some people think I'm a rating stickler, like a rating Nazi, but um, I'm not. I'm just. Um, it was a great match. Like I don't know, it was a damn good match. It was a damn good final. But I, I don't know because like Julius had a really good run this year. Like the, the time limit draw with Mayu, the match the first night against Shuri, um, you know the run she's had during the Grand Prix. Like I really loved the match with her and Zuki, um, the match with her and Natsupoi where she just basically obliterated her. Basically. And it was one of the most tense matches I've seen all year. Um, just she's had really, a really good run in, and you know, you went on about Tam. You know, we love Tam, but with Julia, she just had a really, she's just had a really good run. It's hard to dis, like dis, distinguish like which which one's better for her. Um, it really is because um, I I was. I've had a really up and down relationship liking Julia. I've always thought of, you know, like I said earlier, you know, it's interesting following her career, but, um, you know, her work's been up and down, but she's really put it together. And I said before, she's one of the best big match workers in all of wrestling, you know, right up there, her and Tam, right up there um, in all of wrestling. But um, with her, with, with her, you know, you know, putting this bow on this journey and her trying to model herself after Kira Okoto. Cause this, this, this run right now, it really reminds me in the booking patterns reminds me of 93 Hokuto. It really does with the, you know, if, if you knew about 93 Hokuto, it was her, basically her MVP year. And it started off with the, the few with LAP, LLPW and with Kandori, you know, um, you know, she won. She had the white belt um, defense against Coco in a way in December of '92, and it's on Dream Rush, the same match of the famous um, Toyota Yoshida versus um, Dynamite and Miyazaki, um, the two out of three falls match, which kind of kind of was a gateway to a lot of people's watching of uh, Japanese women's wrestling. On that same show, you know, Hokuto, you know, confronted LLPW, who was sitting right in the front, in the front row. It's kind of um, been, you know, I think a lot of people when talking about the retrospective of Hokuto and Kendori and all this stuff from '93, that kind of gets lost in the sauce 
lost in the tail of it. And then you follow up in early 1993 with the feud between LCO and LAPW that carried throughout the, throughout the year, you know, similar to what Julie is doing with Prominence, how they invaded early in the year with Suzu going against her. And then you have um, Hokuto winning the Japan Grand Prix in 93, similar to what Julie did with the five-star Grand Prix this year. Julie has modeled her way. Julie, and it's Rossi. Rossi was in the same company. He's modeling this run after Hokuto. The only, you know, and with and it's funny because Hokuto beat Manami Toyota in the semifinals. Um, if you date back to, I think, the 91 uh, Japan Grand Prix where Hokuto jumps off the top rope and basically busts her knee in Corken Hall and had to stop the match. That was against Manami Toyota, and she goes on. Um, last year, Julie had to pull out of the five-star Grand Prix, comes back for revenge, and wins, wins the whole thing here. And I know, you know Dave Meltzer was saying that, that you know, Julia was supposed to win last year, but um, this makes for a way better story that she bowed out early and comes back in this year. The only thing missing is she's got to win the red belt um, against Shuri, and that's set up against Sumo Hall. That's something that Hokuto never did. You know, she went, after she won the Japan Grand Prix, she went to face Aja Kong, and that was the famous match where she couldn't go anymore, um, bowed out because her body, you know, she, she had to get surgery, got the quick surgery, um, lost, uh, lost Aja Kong, bowed out for a little bit, and then had the rematch with Kendori in December where she lost. And still, that the rematch with Kurt Kendori is one of the greatest matches of all time, even. Comparing to the first match, to me, it's one of the most underrated matches. Yeah, actually, I, I actually like I actually like the second one more. Like, yeah, I, I and, actually like the second one a little bit more. It tells a beautiful story about tragedy and everything, and and sets up and basically sets up the the retirement tour for Hokuto. This is different. Whereas Julia, she's smack dab in the prime of her career, and she's going to do something that Hokuto can do. And unfortunately, someone that passed away, Honda Kimura who she's paid tribute with the braids and everything and the similar roads that have her them being half Japanese and she, just being the cult personality. She's going to have, she's going to get to have that moment. Like, yes, she, yes. Like, which is like they, for how as legendary as Akira Hokuto is like you, we look at her because he, she's kind of like this, like mythological figure. She's kind of like this, like fire breathing dragon. Like, Oh my God. Like what the fuck? Like she, did this and like her 1993 was just as good as like any any year any wrestlers had ever and this and that and she came back from all these different things and like she just kind of like incredible and you're in awe of her but like if you look at the totality of her career she didn't really get to have that moment that julia is about to have and that's a really great point that she brought up because i think the comparison between julia and hokuto was like a really natural one but people would fight it for whatever the reasons are. But I think it's a supernatural one. And, like, it's just true. Like, for as much as you love Hoku- for as much as we love Hokuto and for, like, as high as she's going to be for me on my GWE list, like, she didn't really get to have that. For as talented as she is, for as special as she is, like, she didn't really get to do those things. And her, like, Julia gets to do that. And... Yeah, maybe it would be cooler if, like, Julia could have a bloodbath with Tam Nakano. Like, sure. Like, that would make it better, I guess. But 
they're going out here and being just as violent, just as mean, and telling just as good of stories without the whole invasion aspect. Of course, I get it. Like not that same intensity. Uh, it's not Shinobu Kandori, who's one of the who's one of the most underrated wrestlers of all time, being in there, and I, and, I, and I get it. But like in terms of like what we're getting out of it, <clears throat> we're getting like super high level production from this too. And like Julie, <clears throat> Julie gets that moment where like Hokuto just never got it, and that's a really really appealing thing. Yeah, yeah. And some people say Hoko, Hokuto got it with the Tokyo Dome when you know the next year, but. For Julia, this is going to this. It, is gonna, it wasn't. It wasn't during the run. Like, yes. Yes. Yeah. It wasn't during the run. That's right. And it's to me, it's just sets up something that you know it could be really, really special for for Julia going forward. I mean, as much as I like two Tommies, I know you guys were a little bit down on the Tommy uh, during the, the the title run. I like two Tommies title run. I was actually pretty high on it. I think oh, maybe okay. lower than me, but yeah. Yeah, I was, yeah. I, yeah, I was like, that was definitely me more so. Like, okay. not even, and not even thinking that she was bad. It's just like, you're just making her do a lot that she maybe shouldn't be doing. Yeah, yeah. But for her, for her, I thought she had a good run. Shuri's having a really good run, but it sets up something really special with Julia. And just hope and pray that Pushiro treats it right. Um, WWE doesn't come souping around because now Triple H is back in back in charge. She, and she, that's the thing. That's the beauty of Julia. You could do fucking whatever with her. Like yeah. you're the prominent. Like you. Like she has unfinished business. She. You could always revisit a Tam Red Belt match. You could revisit Utami. You could revisit Mayu and like their chemistry, obviously. But like Julia, it will be just fine if you want to. If you want her to mix it up with the, with the prominence crew. If you want to bring a death match to stardom. She's yep. just she'll be just fine doing that. Like, oh yeah, that's 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 the that's the beauty of Julia and like why going with her is such an appealing thing because like she she can be whatever you need her to be in a way that like no one else on the roster really can. And yeah, she's maybe not the best at anything, but she gives you the best chance of you want to switch it up and you want to do this, you want to go have the big epic, you want to. You want to have like a death match, be a be a be like a big show for you, whether it's in Yokohama or whether it's in Sumo Hall, or you want to, like you can do that because Julia gives you the ability to do that. Yep, yep, and like you said, you could do it with prominence. They got tag league coming up. If her and Tekla win tag league, it just sets up her and Tekla versus Natsupoi and Tam. I would love to watch them, especially yeah. the way Tekla was acting when Natsupoi turned on them. Um, you know, she was she was crying her eyes out. Just sets up a lot of stuff um, that you could go down the road. Um, his, you know, the Hizuki match, you know, her being here the first night, embarrassing yeah. her. She's going <laughs> to get that rematch. I think they have like five pay-per-views coming up, including the, the, the crossover show. So you have plenty of, plenty of time to... to Get rematches and set up big matches for for Julian exactly. and, and down the road. There's tons there, and there's again, it's crazy because this is such a slow build for something that I think a lot of people were like, "Oh, Julia!" Like you said, people are really negative, and they were fucking pissed off that Julia. Oh, she fucking sold out. Whatever you want to say, like she, you know, she she left. She's turning her back. She's being disrespectful to you know her training, 
or the you know the the promotion that backed her and all this to go Judas to Stardom, Julia. People were calling yeah, her Judas Julia. Judas Julia, and then but then you look at it and you go like, it's not like she showed up in Stardom and then they instantly strapped her up and made her the top star. They slow <laughs> built to where we're looking at fucking four years later and she's finally getting to the point where it's time to put the top title on her. So it's just like, I'm sorry, but you can't just be mad like she just fucking jumped ship and then, then they pushed her as the top star. No, like, she jumped ship to get an opportunity to be built to make it here, and she's proved herself the entire time. Yeah, and, and even if you want to say that, like, she had things going for her that, like, made her an appealing option, it's like, like, look at the roster that she had to fight through in order to even, like, Make sure that she still got up, got that opportunity in the end. Like we're still talking about a Marai that finished super high in her block, and like a Momo Watanabe that was still there. And like, yeah, before Bushi Road came in, like it was like you know Momo was a uh, more was higher priority in the booking, but she still gets treated like with a ton of respect and protection in the booking, and like everyone else that's been around, like she still had to go out there and earn her keep with that spot in. She's delivered every time. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of proud. It's weird because I'm kind of proud of her. I've seen her, seen her career, and I'm kind of proud that she's like, you know, when she won and you know the you know, trophy ceremony and and you know putting on the hat and stuff. All I can remember was that Fuji, I'm, that Fuji TV doc, and probably I'll, I'll try to. I have it on a hard drive somewhere. I made his, made sure to save it at the time. Um, and maybe I'll maybe I'll upload it somewhere. So if people haven't haven't watched it and they listen to us and say, "Hey, we're, we're gonna watch it," I'll probably upload and send it send it to Tim or Quentin, put on a note somewhere. So, um, or yeah, but um, just that, just like I remember her in that documentary being in a little tiny apartment um, with. <laughs> funny enough, she had Okada posters. And Aja Kong posters and Rena Yamashita posters. Like she was, like she's given interviews in um, recently saying like she wasn't a big wrestling fan until later on. But when she, when she, when she got into it, she became a really big fan. And you can tell by you know if you if you watch this documentary, you'll see like she was she, she was a mark. She became a mark, and I'm I'm kind of happy that she's kind of progressed into one of the top wrestlers in the world um kind of proud of that and that fandom speaks to the thing we were talking about earlier where quentin talked about like you know wwe showing up and backing up the brinks truck to bring julia over and it's just like i think that she knows and understands wrestling enough to realize that like you know that's a double-sided sword whatever that's not necessarily just a complete positive it's not just about taking the money from wwe because you can live happy and you can be a wrestler like Julia feels like in the same way we talked about John Moxley earlier, like that she gets it without having to have to deal with the disappointment that came from WWE. She's like actually learning from the history where she realizes like, if I went to WWE, I would just be disappointed in the fact that I couldn't get to live my life as being a great wrestler because they wouldn't let me, you know, do what I can do in an actual wrestling company. Yeah. And her, one of her, one of her mentors, Hideki Suzuki went over there so and you saw how that turned out you know he wasn't even he never wrestled for wwe you know he was a coach and Hachi, was a hachi man in yeah. in X, nxt so um you know and when i say with the wwe angle like 
Um, it's funny because it's actually been documented with Liger on his YouTube channel. He sat Julia down and was asking about, you know, overseas, you know, what about the prospect of overseas um, promotions coming in? And she had this weird look on her face, like, like somebody, did somebody tell you something? Like she had that, that yeah, look. Yeah. Uh, so, um, if you go out there and find it, it's pretty, it's pretty funny that it's been translated. So, um, yeah, like she, she knows what's out there. She knows the, she kind of knows the waters, but, um, I think she's, she does stay with Bushy Road and leads the company to this new, new era. You know, um, I don't think it's going to be this one big conglomeration where, or combination of New Japan and um, it's going to be one big company, one big promotion. I don't think that's going to happen, but I think Stardom, you know, it's too much money left on the table for Stardom to not be its own promotion. And I think, I mean, going back to, you know, you said that she didn't get pushed um, from the beginning. I mean, she kind of did, but she didn't get pushed all the way. I mean, she got pushed. I'm doing I'm doing the Dave Meltzer thing now. Where I'm like, well, she didn't. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean... I love it. I mean, the, the, the Wrestle King, you know, the Wrestle Kingdom match, I think a lot of people yeah. kind of ruffle yeah. feathers there because um, she was only with the company for like, say, three months when she got the, got the Wrestle Kingdom match. So she was kind of pushed, but yeah, but it's it has been from that forward. She took her lumps and there's been injuries and a whole bunch of other stuff. So she took her lumps and, and went and struck right through and I'm proud of her. I'm really am really proud of her. Yeah, I'm happy that they that they took the time and built it this way. I agree with you there. Um, Quentin, do you have any other thoughts on how great Julia is before we move before we move on? Are we moving on? Are we still doing that? Yeah, hell yeah, we are. All right, Jay, I don't know how much of this you saw, but uh, GCW <laughs> in Japan, dead or, dead on arrival, uh, DOA. Um, all right, so we'll start. I have Shikibu. not, but I want to. I want to watch some of this stuff, know. though. Okay, you should definitely check it out. Um, opening match, all right, Strong Hearts versus uh, Joey Janela versus. No, Quentin, we're not talking about this. Like, <laughs> what? What did you actually see on this show? Um, so um, want to be clear that I only had the intentions of watching this show if I could watch it illegally. Um, because why would I give of GCW? course, of course, yeah. but um, apparently the person that uploaded it could not be bothered to uh upload a working link, or by the time that I got to it, it just wasn't wasn't a working link. So uh, yeah, <laughs> so I didn't I didn't really I didn't get, didn't really get a chance to uh to get to this. Um, it mostly stunk. I saw um, I saw the Abby tag with of a Cole Radrick and Mance. And I saw Jun Kasai versus Effie, and I saw uh, the main event, uh, six-person six tag. Okay. All right. So the takeaways from those matches are that um, the Abby tag with uh, Riju, Riju Ito and... Ryuji uh, Ito, versus, and, yeah. Yeah, versus Cole and Mance was like... I was just... I honestly was watching it, and the first thing that crossed my mind was thinking about like when ECW did a tour of Japan, and just like... Like Tommy Dreamer, Taz, Raven, whatever, being like obvious fanboys of like the fucking FMW wrestlers. And I was just like, it's just so sad because I'm just like, it's not the same fucking thing. Like, I can tell what you're doing here. You guys are like working this 
And it just feels like kids playing and trying to like wrestle against like idols and legendary wrestlers. And it's just not the same. When ECW did their tour of like Japan, they felt like they were on the same level or higher than the wrestlers, like the Japanese wrestlers that they were with. And here it just feels like they're like subservient. Like Abby obviously is a fucking living legend, whatever. We've talked about how great he is. And and Cole and Mance are, are, you know, whatever. We both like them to different degrees, but it was just, it was very glaring just how, how much like GCW is second rate compared to this. Uh, Effie and June Kasai, the only thing that crossed my mind was I remembered, and I messaged this to uh, to former guests of the show, multiple time guests of the show, Dan Makabe, which is like, um, if you remember this, Quentin, when uh, Effie was booked for a 3 to one battle and people were upset that he was getting wasted on wrestling Eddie Van Glam, and then now Effie is like one of the worst fucking wrestlers that gets regularly booked. It's so fucking depressing <laughs> and sad. This match sucked shit. June Kasai had a match of the year level fucking match with El Desperado just recently. And then you watch this and you're just like, this fucking sucks. This guy is so bad. And there was a time when people were upset. I was thinking about early Effie because he cut his hair. Do you remember early Effie when he had the short brown hair? He wore the fishnets, but he was beefy. He had some muscle to him. And he seemed like a guy who had some fucking potential that could actually do something and be something. And then now he's just this fucking joke of a wrestler. He can, he's, He's just such dog shit. It's fucking goddamn. Effie sucks. Effie is the worst wrestler in the world. I would say that this is the worst match of the year, but I think I haven't seen enough Effie matches to really deg the trenches to see where the worst match really is. This guy sucks shit. Main event, the thing that stood out to me, Drew Parker, EC Drew, the fucking asshole that we used to watch on Fight Club Pro matches, has really done it and he's become something. He's made something of himself and I fucking love it. This guy. The fucking street urchin, EC Drew. He actually feels like a somebody here. He's teaming with uh, fucking uh, Toshiaka Sakuda and Violento Jack, and he feels on their level. EC Drew, I fucking love this guy and really made something of himself. Quentin, do you have any other thoughts beyond what I just said, or can we fucking get the hell out of here? Um, It's just always weird to see Drew Parker like actually become like an important person in... Japanese deathmatch wrestling is always just like wow, like that actually worked out really well for him, and like like we talked about like English deathmatches and shit before. It's like they're kind of like weak, weak ass deathmatches, and then to see him go for no, I actually want to do real deathmatches and like fully embrace it and be good at it to the point where he's like won tournaments and won the belt and shit is like really cool and like will always be interesting like man like drew parker's like really worked himself into becoming like an actual like important commodity whenever we're talking about like uh non-american deathmatch wrestling but other than that uh no uh yeah i'm completely good here um i think that we're good to sign off jml if you have any plugs that you would like to get out, like that you would like to do, feel free. But we are good to go. Uh, like say follow uh the account, um the wrestling, <laughs> uh the wrestling observer Hall of Fame tracker. Uh, the account is W H O N H O F tracker. Uh, you follow that. Uh, I was joking by the way. Let my uh. <laughs> Letting my observer subscription lapse. I just don't read the board. <laughs> but, um, yeah, let's follow that because uh, pretty soon it's Hall of Fame season. Um, 
I know Dave said that in a couple of weeks that he would release the ballot, but um, that was before Antonio Inoki died. <laughs> and um, he just published the observer. I think Mike Sembervivi, I saw a tweet that he put out. He uh, took the observer bio of Inoki, put it on a Word doc, and it's like 42 pages. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so that's what um my um dave's dave meltzer has been doing so i don't think we're gonna get the observer ballot for a while you know if you have stuff like um the passing of the tony Inoki, you know god like god in japanese for us for wrestling passing away it's gonna be busy weeks for him so um but yeah observer hall of fame season is coming so get prepared we're gonna ramp up the, the account um pretty soon we started um I know Rich Lotta did a did a um, did a long form article about the candidacy for JYD um, that got a lot of attention, and we we helped promote that. and And we're going to do that with a lot of other um, articles that come across wherever wherever it is about the Hall of Fame. We're going to do that, but Rich was really adamant about JYD going in the Hall of Fame, and I think he has a case. And um, it was more of a gut column reaction it wasn't more like oh like um like the anal like putting out stats and statistics of how much he drew or anything like that it was more of just a old fashioned you know sports writer co type column and i think he has a point and that's what makes the hall of fame great with debates like that so go out there check that out we're gonna have some more stuff um there and um yeah if you want to follow me on my main account um it's at the jml underscore and if you want to follow me there it's <laughs> a lot of jokes a lot of jokes going so a lot of wacky stuff yeah. so but that's that that's my plugs uh all right tim anything you want to say before i sign us off here uh no i don't think i have anything yeah okay so uh you can follow tim at bone dog's wife you can follow me at QT underscore Moody. You can follow the podcast network at WDKWPN and donate to us on coffee as you're feeling as so kind to. Uh, I'm going to go watch Game of Thrones and listen to Boldy James probably for the rest of the night. That uh, seems like a good way to occupy my Friday. Uh, but that's it for us here. Hope you have a good time. Thank you all for listening. And hope you're here next time.